All right, and welcome to another episode of the Senpai Kohai Podcast. But this isn't a usual episode, as you'll see by the abnormally long timestamp. This is a special episode. A special episode in which we have hit not just one download, not just 10 downloads, not just 11 downloads. Steven, how many have we <laughs> hit? How many downloads are we at? We are at a thousand downloads across 26 episodes of the Senpai Kohai podcast. And boy, oh boy, am I excited about it because with this revelation, with this milestone, we have decided to pull from the vault. The, our the early... Disney. <laughs> <laughs> That's like we, we accidentally became Disney at this point. Um, don't sue us, please. Please. Uh, <laughs> The, Gib- the, the Ghibli, the, the Ghibli Senpai Kohai Vault. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, is that we did have a pilot idea for this podcast before we really started going the way we did, and that was that we were going to do in-depth reviews of specific anime series, or maybe even episodes as each season progressed. And and while that that is fun, it is a fun thing to do, and it is very much got our stamp of approval. Uh, we we chose to go a little bit more. Uh, how would you describe it, Trey? Uh, I think a little bit more off the road is uh, kind of how we go. <laughs> we 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 tried to set a path and tried to run down the uh, the tracks, but we tend to we tend to find shortcuts. We tend to find uh, the dirt path, and we tend to ride along it instead of uh, instead of where we're meant to go. And I think that's kind of where we we find our groove. That's where we're a bit more comfortable at. Absolutely, we we jump off the the ramp on rainbow road we find the shortcuts and need for speed underground we are a lot more fun that way but i think so because we've reached this milestone we're gonna go ahead and release our original pilot which was the senpai kohai podcast in-depth anime review of rising of the shield hero so with that please get ready Buckle yourselves in. This is a long one. Don't don't commit to it unless you got the time. Otherwise, like break it up a little bit. Let's see what it is. Um, but without further ado, Trey, what do you think? Well, Steven, I think a lot, but I can I can tell you I got a lot to, a lot more to think about than this bird that we're gonna be talking about. So before we get to the before we get to the meat and potatoes. Steven, is there anything you're currently playing and or watching? Uh, well, lately I've just mainly been making time for Final Fantasy XIV. I, I haven't really played an online MMORPG in a while, and this was my online game of choice probably like eight months ago. And I just really all of a sudden got the itch to get back into the game and explore the story, mess with crafting and gathering. It's It's kind of like a little bit of mindless fun that I can dive into every once in a while. You really should get on there and play it with me sometime. I will at some point. I've never had that itch, though, so I, it may just be you I play that with. I, uh, I'm always just a, a single-player kind of guy. I don't that's know. True. Yeah, I, I I can't even remember the last time I played online. Oh, that's not true. I played Mario Kart a deluxe online and just whooped people's asses on there, so that's just a... That's just Isn't that pretty much all you fun. ever do online? That, that really is it, <laughs> but uh, that's just because I know I can do it. Um, let's see. Other you, than that. 
I, I have I, other than that, I've been playing a little bit of Yakuza Zero, trying to catch up back on that. I lo- I love the silly antics of uh, Kiryu, and this one's set in the '80s, and it's kind of like before all the mainline stories. So lots of fun side quests and uh, really kind of fun story, and there's lots of wandering around in Tokyo and beating up dudes constantly. So that's a pretty fun mindless game too, though it kind of plays a little bit like a beat 'em up RPG but 3D and has a bunch of mini games. It's really cool. That's a series I'm going to get into at some point. I know I need to. I've I'm fascinated with it and I've refrained from getting into the lore and anything cuz it's one I know I'm going to do. So, at some point I'm I'm going to get to it. I just don't know when the whole yakuza and what was it? Judgment. I think they have a new side game coming out cuz they're done with the yakuza mainline games, I think. Yeah, the uh, Like a Dragon spinoff game. It's apparently yeah. like a traditional RPG or something like that. Oh, uh, that'll work, I guess. Okay. so I'm I'm mildly curious and interested to, to see some more videos and see what the initial impressions are. But what about you? Uh, oh, wait, no, not what about you. What about me? I'm still watching oh. some things here and there. Uh, actually, I've been kind of on a little bit of a hiatus aside from what we're covering for our podcast. But I did jump back into watching Hajime no Ippo again, just because I'm a sucker for the boxing uh, animes. It's all very sports inspirational, and it's just an easy watch. That's what I've been meaning to see. I always see the cool clips and gifs of uh, the main guy just punching the shit out of people, and I've, I've really been meaning to see it. I saw Megalobox, and I think it's pulled a lot of inspiration from there. So I, I need to see ha- Ippo. I don't know how to say the rest of it, but I do need to see I- it. It's okay. Megalobox actually pulled most of its information, uh, information, inspiration from, uh, was it Tomorrow's Joe? Is uh, Oh, really? Ashita no Joe. It's, I think it's almost a complete retelling of the story, but don't quote me. I feel like I'm messing that up already. Um, I'll get back to you with the research. But uh, okay. <laughs> off the record, I won't quote you, but that, that's off the record. Uh, good, good. Okay, so as for what I'm playing, I am uh, I'm balls deep in Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE Encore Deluxe XD um, Switch Edition. Is that is that really all I, in the name? <laughs> no, no, it's just Tokyo Mirage <laughs> Sessions Sharp FE Encore. That's it. That um, doesn't really take away a lot of what you <laughs> no, said. <laughs> no, it's a long title, but this is a uh, this is a JRPG. I didn't know I was gonna love to this extent. It is. It's great. I didn't know I'd like this whole idle atmosphere that it's it's painting out to be, but it's really fun. You start off as this this couple of friends who get involved with this idol uh, company, and you find out that there are these mirages, which are monsters that go and take over people, and you have to go into the idolosphere, which are where the monsters live, and you have to fight big bosses that take over big industry names and win back uh, Shibuya and other places from the bad guys. And it's all inspired by fire emblem, uh, fire emblem characters, but with a Shin Megami twin, whoa, Shin Megami Tensei twist, I think is what it is. I haven't played a game like it. So this is just what I'm gathering. Like I, I'm not going to lie. When hearing someone actually describe the details of this game, it sounds like Japanese developers got into a room and took a shit ton of acid and said, wait, we want to do a Fire Emblem and Shimigami Tensei crossover. What if we like made it all idols and mirages and people get possessed by, you know, things and there's all this other weird, colorful shit. And then we're going to put weird symbols in the title. Yeah, that's the stuff. 
Yeah, just randomizer, randomizer, randomizer. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. But no, it sounds pretty cool. I mean, I've seen the art and I've seen a little bit of like, you know, screens and stuff like that. And it's it's very colorful and looks very approachable. And uh, I'm actually really interested after hearing your impressions. And I'm a sucker for a good JRPG, despite me, just, you know, assuming they took mushrooms or acid to, to get to this point. So I, I like this weird kind of stuff. Uh, in my gaming sphere. So it's definitely on my uh, must buy list. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't even know anything about fire emblem, but I'm cool with the characters they have. Like they have Crom, and I only know him from, uh, from the smash game and everyone else is no go for me. I have no idea who they are, but they, they stay contained and relevant in the universe. So I guess if you know who they are and maybe there's references, I'm just not catching, but it's cool. There's chock full of content. So I think you'll enjoy it whenever you get to it. And, like you said, it's beautiful. It's colorful, and there's lots of uh, there's lots of music scenes, and they're not like badly done yes. or anything. I just finished an idol anime that was really badly done with its music scenes, <laughs> and this one is or uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions is not poorly done like this one. So it's uh, oh what it's what actually, anime was it? Uh, Zombie Land Saga. I oh the music scenes were bad. Yeah, it was weird. Like. Uh, whenever the 3d sections would go and the music would start i mean not to mention it was in english so it was just kind of odd i guess to hear it but it just looked really off-putting and i i don't know me and my wife didn't really enjoy uh whenever they'd start singing franchuchu is what the band was called and whenever they'd start singing it's like oh god really no please let's just get back to the girls and the manager you know, idol animes are one of those things that just, they either hit or they don't. And uh, I've been watching them since, God, way back at Pop Chance Sessions, I think it was. It was like a 90s, early 2000s uh, about idols in the music industry. It was a little more serious, but it was still like, this is a thing that became bigger and bigger. Like, as a matter of fact, if I recall correctly, the Saga Prefecture in Japan uses some of the zombie land saga characters in promoting the city that's what it's about it's about the saga prefecture it, it about uh god what's it about they're trying to be the idols of the saga prefecture and not save it because there's nothing wrong with the saga prefecture i don't think but it's i don't the story didn't go anywhere like the idols got big and that was it, but they didn't explain how they became zombies. Like who reincarnated them, not, not reincarnated them, but brought them back to life and why. But I mean, if not to be idols, but I don't know. So wait, I was, it's called zombie land saga and it's about zombie idols, but they never explain how they became zombies. Like it shows how they died or tells you how they died, but it, it never says like, how they did it like the main girl sakura she uh she dies when she gets hit by a truck in like the first 10 minutes which is funny because it's how my wife saw me watching it and uh <laughs> she's like hey what are you watching and she gets hit by truck coon she he hits the <laughs> shit out of her and she's like oh my god <laughs> so, sure enough she gets uh we start watching it together because it was funny it, it was really comically done when he hits her and we uh we just started watching and it never went anywhere we got about episode 10 or 11, and we realized that, you know, we weren't going to get any answers to the questions we had. They had, uh, they had one little tease of a, of a question, of, of one of the questions we had, which was, you know, why? What is this? And they never went anywhere with it. So 
we were just so did you finish the series yeah we finished oh oh yeah big daddy trey don't don't finish his meals i mean he, <laughs> he no, does finish his meals I, yes. I, do, I do finish my meals but i didn't get my uh i didn't get the satisfaction so it's whatever but apart from uh apart from that i'm now watching black clover which is pretty cool really enjoying that it's i i feel like it's a really good mix of all the shonens from like the past maybe decade. Like I'm seeing a lot of Naruto in it. It is real Naruto heavy inspired, I feel. And mm-hmm. I'm seeing quite a bit of bleach in a lot of the uh a lot of the team inspired stuff. So it's it's a kind of cool mixture of that and what I'm seeing. And yeah, then, it's and oh, then they were they told the main guy that I want you to scream everything you say. All the oh time. yeah, nothing. Even a normal conversation should just be all screaming all the time. Oh yeah, and that's all he does, and it's great. It's so funny because he <laughs> Asta is a riot. Like the first episode, I, I was like, oh god, I, I was in the mood for a shonen, and I haven't been able to find uh, what was it, Food Wars, because that was going to be my my shonen to go with, and I haven't been able to find it in a dub anywhere yet. And so I went ahead and went to Black Clover, and the first episode, I was cracking up. I was like, well, shit, I guess this is it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And now I'm like 20, 30 episodes in. And it's uh, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, totally. it is actually, you know, despite me making fun of the fact that Asta's kind of loud and, and things like that, I actually really love the series. I've been following it since the manga started. And uh, it was, I've been enjoying the anime as well, uh, kind of going through the storyline again. Because there's, there's a lot to unpack there. But I hate to admit it, but the, the side characters actually outshine the main character, in my opinion. Uh, for the show like I really really like Noelle and uh, I like the witch character um, I forget her name at the moment because I if, if I went to a party I would freaking never know anybody's name <laughs> even after they introduced themselves I they'd be like I'm David and like six seconds later they'd be like hey uh, hey man uh, hey Denise your name is man now so God, I can't remember her name either Ah, gotcha. The yeah, no. If you hadn't said anything, I, I would have been able to ramble them all off. Everyone but part of the Black Bulls. Ah, oh, man. But I, I think you're right too, because Magna and Noel are both really cool characters, and you know is not really anything of note as of yet, because I, I don't really, I don't really get anything from him but his cool powers and his historically remarkable grimoire. But yeah. He's he's kind of got a little bit of the Sasuke syndrome going on where he's like brooding yeah. all the time. But I do at least enjoy the fact that he's literally competing with Asta and it, like is backing Asta secretly like the whole time. Like despite what anybody says, he's just always like, nah, I'm with that guy. Yeah. So, that, so it's, it's like very ride or die, you know? Yeah. That, and that's pretty cool. I like that it's not it's not a toxic rivalry. It's it's kind of friendly. For the most part, which is nice. I, I don't want to see them kill each other, hopefully. But maybe we'll cover it in another episode. Ooh. Maybe they just did the third season, so I don't know when it ends, but maybe we can go season by season. That don't, seems like a smart idea. That, let's that uh, let's put it better. in the brain box and come back to it. On it. But while I'm doing that, we can go to oh my god, my mouse. So while <laughs> while we're doing that. <laughs> Uh, we can go ahead and get into our main event, the rising of the shield hero. <laughs> so th- this is a, uh, so you just watched this recently, didn't you? For the first time. Yes, sir. Yeah. So th- this is, this was brand new to you when you watched it. Um, and, but you have seen other isekai type 
series, haven't you? What's crazy is that this is actually my... It's actually my... Uh, wow, I'm trying to think of how many I've watched over the summer. I think this is actually my fifth one in a row I've watched. Good Lord. But I, I've watched well over a dozen. But the way I did my Funimation account, I actually just went through and added everything in. And the way I handle my queue is I go one at a time in row. And the way it all lined up was just so many isekai. And I didn't even know oh, half no. of them were isekais. But because I don't read the descriptions anymore. If the title card's cool and <laughs> the picture's cool, then I'm doing it. I'm going to go for it. Because Look, I... I- I gotta, I gotta say this. I'm impressed with you because that being the senpai on this show, it means I've been doing this a lot longer and I've been around the fandom a lot longer. And that is literally what it was like in the in the '90s and 2000s when you went to a store that actually had anime on sale because you know we didn't have channels or anything like that. We didn't have streaming platforms where every anime ever is on there, and you paid ten bucks a month and you uh-huh. could watch however much as you want as long as you had the time. So you had to you had to save your allowance or your job money, depending on how old you were, and go into like a Sam Goody or something, and just look at the fucking boxes. Oh, what? Yeah, like because I mean, so, uh, you could read some of the backs, but no. they all they weren't always like you know super clear on what the hell you were getting yourself into. You had to go into a what? A Sam Goody. What the hell is that? Don't you dare make me feel older. You better be lying through your teeth right now. You, I've never heard of a Sam Goody. You've never heard of a Sam How about a Suncoast Motion Picture Company? Yes, I've heard of Suncoast. I've been Thank in a Suncoast. I have Fucking been in Christ. a Suncoast. <laughs> so, fun fact is Suncoast and Sam Goody combined for a time, and what was left was Sam Goody. Ah, and, okay. Uh, so they sold like music and like music t-shirts and DVDs, and they had a pretty, pretty decent anime selection. Um... So they they had all of them in plastic cases and stuff like that. And sometimes the, even the description would be blank. Like it'd be blocked by something on the back or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you would have to go into this store and look at the pictures and just go, that looks cool. I mean, that's how I chose Trigun, which Trigun is one of my favorite series from back then. But when I looked, when I was looking around the store, I was like, that looks cool. He's got a gun. He's got glasses. It looks kind of, you know, edgy and... A trigun doesn't make much sense to me, but let's go for it. And that's what it was like. And you only got four or five episodes of DVD, so you didn't even get the whole series. Like nowadays, the money I spend on four or five episodes, you can get whole series. Yeah. So I gotta, I gotta say, I'm impressed with your approach to your Funimation by just literally looking at the title card, which is essentially the same thing, and being like, "That's a thing I'm gonna fucking watch." I have to. I, I've been betrayed too many times by the uh, the description. There was. What was it? Um, there have been two animes. I can't even remember the titles because I was so mad. But one of them <laughs> was a police anime. And it was supposed to be the gathering of these police officers to go solve a crime. And this girl was the main character. And she goes around this police department uh, gathering up the top-notch police officers to make this special division. And really, like four episodes in, I realized all it was was a fruits basket with cops instead of like you know actually solving the crime and i was mad so i stopped because i was lied to and then there was another one ulysses and the alchemist something that one was also that one was weird that because it, its description like yeah, i kind of lined up but it, it just caught me off guard and it, it didn't tell me like how they were going to do everything and it's just it, the descriptions aren't trustworthy is what I'm finding. So I'm just finding something that's a, like 
attractive with the title, good picture, good, you can make it. And then, of course, I go by genres sometimes, too, if I'm in the mood for something like a slice of life or if I'm looking for whatever else or I'll just peruse what's new and I'll add it. And by the time I get to it, normally the season will be done or two seasons will be done most likely. But just kind of how a pretty healthy approach. I get it. Um, So with our with our, uh, you know, side road out of the way. uh, So the title card of Rising of the Shield Hero caught you, huh? Like what, what was it that attracted you? It, I mean, Nafumi is a pretty cool looking hero. He, the shield hero itself looks really neat. The whole getup of Raptalia and uh, Philo does not look cool. I <laughs> did not really get what was there, but Raptalia and Nafumi was really the main like, ooh, and then the rising of the shield hero. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, I fuck with that. And so, it does have kind of like that that kind of epic kind of name to it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just rustles my jimmies. And I was like, please, let me watch. <laughs> you're, you're like, let's do this. It's fantasy. And, and uh, that's, that's not too far off. I, I uh, guess I'll go ahead and explain a little bit about the backstory of like where this comes from. So, uh, you know, I'll throw my 10 cents out there because it looks like I have a little bit of uh, talking to do. Please, senpai. Um, the rising of the shield hero so this started out as a web novel published on a japanese site called and i'm gonna butcher the hell out of this shosetsuka ni naro which kind of loosely translates to let's become a novelist um and this this place has existed since like 2004 and it's basically where people can submit their own web novels and you know things that they write as amateurs and it gets published online and can possibly be picked up by publishers. This is this site has become so quintessential for light novels and web novels in general that some of the biggest series you've wa- you've read, watched, uh, you know, seen manga for uh, and drama CDs and things like that that they came from this site to give you a short a short list. And by the way, I'm not going to read off the Wikipedia list because it was a lot, but the ones that kind of like jumped out at me is like Konosuba. Um, that was one of the one that came out there, the irregular at Magic High School, which is season two is starting here soon. Um, I'm a spider, so what? Which is also getting an anime, and it starts in October, as I recall. So a lot of these are actually just coming around for the first time. That also, right Yeah, so I'm a spider, so what? It's I'm excited about that one, which we'll talk about that towards the end when because I'm going to try to stay on task here for a minute. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Um, and they had and they had Log Horizon, which was another kind of one of those VR MMOs. People are trapped inside of it kind of story. It's sort of isekai, but a lot of the isekai series, some that you don't like, really came from this <laughs> website. Uh, but I'm really glad this one did because uh, it's you know basically it really does feel like uh, the most of the isekai series that came out over the last like seven or eight years came from this website originally, and then got adapted to like light novels, and then adapted into animes or mangas. But yeah, there's. A, if you ever want to see the full list of all the things that came from this website, look it up on Wikipedia. There's a ton of them. Anyways. It, <laughs> it's interesting going through that list because there there is quite the hefty repertoire of ugh, just anime on there that have come. Like, you know, one of my favorites, The Eighth Sun, just to <laughs> have the audacity to be on that list, just being isekai and, you know, not not all of them being video game related, but isekai nonetheless yeah now you you loved that show didn't you all three episodes that i watched i i adored it uh, uh yes i remember the the ragey moments 
god how wonderful anyway the uh the author of this series is uh uh man please forgive me for butchering the language aneko usagi usagi sorry uh, and basically was the, uh, the original web novels author and then became also the author of the uh, light novel series uh, published in magazines and stuff. And uh, the uh, there's also a spinoff series called The Reprise of the Spear Hero. And in that one, Motoyasu dies and goes back to the, ser- the beginning of the series with his memories intact and basically spends his time trying to win Philo's love and protecting Naofumi from the traumas that he goes through with mixed results at best. Is that canon? Uh, it's a spinoff series, so it's technically oh. considered an alternate timeline for the story. Gotcha. So it's it's more, it's just more fun. Um, I say, but, what the hell? Ugh, I don't, I don't want to see anything yeah, about Motoyasu. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt the same way. I, I think that's the reason I haven't really looked into it yet. Um, it's still just in light novel form and manga form. Um, but maybe one day, maybe I'll get kind of curious. But for now, I'm going to stick to good old fashioned Shield Hero excitement. But the the art for the light novel is done by Minami Sera, and she gets a a lot of attention from the anime. Um, uh, they list her in in the credits as well, along with the original author. Um, I really like the style that she has in the light novels. It, it, it definitely does a great job of kind of highlighting character details and stuff like that. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited to actually dive into the light novel when I get a chance. Um, but I think they're on like 17 volumes. So uh, for now I'm sticking to wow. the anime. Yeah. Um, so that's exciting stuff. Uh, there's also a manga adaptation for this series uh, that the, uh, is adapted by uh, Aya Q and I've looked at the manga and there's definitely, I don't think the art's bad or anything. It just looks different. It, they've, they have very much more like kind of, uh, I guess a serious look. Like, I don't think it has as much of the big eyes and things like that going on as, uh, you know, say the anime does, mm-hmm. but I still think the story is told pretty well. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure the anime is following the manga's, you know, story beats and pace uh, pretty much back to back um but yeah that's that's pretty much the general information you know it started as a web novel uh became a light novel has some spin-offs you, it has its own manga series and of course the anime series which is you know we're we're gonna be covering season one today and uh but season two is coming out in you know is it i think it's at the end of this year and i think so greenlit so yeah, yeah, they just released a trailer like last week or the week before, so that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, with that, we can go ahead and head into the uh, head into the general plot that we. So can, uh, w- this goes without saying, we are going to have some spoilers because we're just talking about it because we just watched this whole series. We assume whoever's checking out our reviews of this series is ready to to talk about it or has has watched it or maybe they just don't care. Uh, but I like to warn people that we are definitely not going to hold back because honestly, it's kind of hard to talk about a series and try to hide the plot points. So um, heads up, everybody. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and start with episode one. How about let's get your first impression so far. So at episode one, I didn't even know that it was a 40 minute episode until yeah. my, my wife came in and she's like what are you watching just <laughs> the usual <laughs> the usual whenever i start a new anime yeah your your wife walks in and, and judges you for it in some and, fashion or either sits down with you every time and it, same same in college with the roommates <laughs> but i uh 
what was it? I was like, yeah, so this happened. And I started going into it, telling her what happened. I was like, and that was on the first episode. And then I realized I'm still in the first episode. I haven't seen an ending theme yet. And so sure enough, I clicked on my remote and I was still there. And I was like, wow, this is a lot going on that they're really setting some shit up. And it it was deserving. This, this really needed a 40 minute first or a 40 minute pilot to get the whole world set up. So fun fact about that. So in, in manga, in the manga world, uh, typically the first uh, first chapter of a new series is longer. It'll have a higher page count than your standard chapters. And I feel like that was kind of like the approach with this first, this first episode was like, they wanted to, to establish a world and, and get to the meat of the series, but they wanted to have everything set up in the first episode. So that ultimately led to it being like an extra long episode. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed that There was a lot to digest in this first episode. And I also made a couple comparisons in it while I was watching it at towards the end, because it's, it's now Fumi as he, him and the other heroes end up going towards the world. Uh, they all open these books in their respective eras of Japan because they're not in Earth as we know it. They open these books that are records of the cardinal heroes, and they each open one of the shield, the spear, the sword, and the bow. And when they open these books, they get sent to the kingdom of Melramark. And once they're there, they have to go see the king. The king gives them this mission, save the world from these waves. And while they're there in this first episode... They have to kind of get set up, get a party, and just get ready to go out into the world because the waves are hitting soon, and they're nothing to really trifle with. And by the end of the episode, you witness Naofumi, the the main guy, the shield hero, get accused of sexually assaulting someone and being a bad guy. He's pretty much villainized at the end of the episode, which he didn't do. He the the uh, lady, her name's Mine accuses him of it but you see while the accusation's going on she makes a a face at him which shows that she's toying with him but no one else sees it but her and it's uh it was insane just uh how how intense it got there but i, I made the comparison to goblin slayer where it kind of got intense and i was like well that oh yeah it it got there but you know it didn't have to show it but i don't i don't know i'm not really sure why it why it had to get that intense in, in Goblin Slayer, but it, it didn't here. But I wonder if that would have carried any more weight if anything did happen. But I don't know. I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad he stayed a good guy, but I was also disappointed he stayed a good guy because mm-hmm. I kind of wanted him to twist. And I wanted him to be like, you know what? I'm going to kill y'all. And you all, uh, you, you all better pray the next wave isn't me. But <laughs> he didn't do it. What did, what did you think? I, so... I I really liked the world building in this in this episode. Um, I do love the fact that it there there's some small details in the first episode that make me happy about this series in general. For for one, this series clearly has a little more of a like kind of a seinen like older vibe to it. Um, the you know the character is older, um, and I like the fact that he's he's a university student. He's not like a shut in. He's not a neat. He's not overly otaku, uh, kind of like having this, you know, you know, power fantasy or anything like that. He's just a normal guy that has some some nerdy hobbies, and you know that's how he ends up. Like he's at a freaking library when he finds this book, you know, because he can't afford to buy more stuff. So clearly, you know, he only has so much money. So there's not like some magical 
unending money tree or something. So it's, you know, he's very normal and I like that. He's very approachable, um, which makes it so much worse whenever, you know, things go sideways. Uh, you know, it does a lot of foreshadowing um, throughout this. It, if you, if you're paying attention to dialogue, um, I also think it's hilarious that he, uh, he calls the princess uh, bitchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like in his own head, he, he was like, she keeps, seems kind of bitchy. Um, but like it, it really didn't spend a lot of time in the real world and it pretty much got you right in there. And then it was like, all right, so you've been subbing to another world. You're supposed to stop these waves that are a bunch of monsters that come out and try to kill all of us until the heroes beat them. Uh, you know, we're going to set you up with party members and send you out into the world to level up and fight these waves. And, you know, you basically have that happen and it's, and you just get to see him exist in this world. So you start seeing the city. It doesn't, it doesn't spend a lot of time hearkening back to Tokyo or wherever they came from. I mean, they have a, a short discussion uh, about, you know, where everybody came from, which is when you find out everybody came from parallel worlds that aren't exactly the same, which is kind of cool and surprisingly important to know and then uh and then you just go into all the bad stuff that happens which is just so hard because now fumi is so positive from the at the beginning of it he's like this is going to be a good experience nothing is going to go wrong we're going to work as a team and we're going to stop this evil stuff from happening and then he just gets kind of dragged in front of everybody where everybody accuses him of this horrible action he doesn't really defend himself and everybody just accepts it. Yeah. And that, I, I guess it's, I guess the point is, it's because she's technically a princess for the country. So everybody's just like, yeah, the princess said it. So it must be true. But it, it does strike me as weird that, you know, there's not more question to it. But of course, it wouldn't go anywhere. Like his character wouldn't develop into the main character the writer has in mind if he, if everybody was like, yeah, wait, no, that sounds suspicious. We should investigate. And so it was just this whole thing where he gets pretty much, you know, thrown under the bus and and runs away and and ends up in this horrible situation but uh it didn't waste any time the whole the whole episode he pretty much just you know they sent to the other world here's the world bad stuff happens we're gonna keep on trucking and that's where he ends up you know uh in the slave tent i believe is where the episode ends and he meets raptalia for the first time yes sir yeah so and that's an episode two where he starts getting ready to by her because he needs someone to be in his party. But now that he has all these accusations against him and all these treasonous things, he, no one wants to join him. No one will join his party. And unless it's someone with malicious intent and he can't trust anyone. So he meets this, uh, Carney, I guess, who offers to sell him a slave <laughs> and he... so Carney. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. So... <laughs> I mean, it's not wrong. He, he does. He looks like basically that, uh, otherworldly ringmaster, if you will. Yeah. And he offers to sell him a slave and he offers him at first, this big werewolf looking guy. And then he gets to Raftalia, who's this young, sickly, demi human Tanuki, type thing i think they even address her and call her a raccoon because i know me and my wife were questioning it for a while because we don't know what the hell she was uh, she's but, a tanuki yes so he gets uh he gets her and starts training her and because he he needs someone to be his sword he realizes while he's training that he can't actually attack with his shield you know believe it or not all he can do is block until he starts developing powers and skills 
so he trains her up and dresses her and treats her and he develops uh, some abilities for a shield but that is where we meet little little wrath yeah and you cover you start covering a lot more world building at this point you find a you find out about beast men and demi humans and uh, in this case uh you know demi humans are basically human with you know animal ears and tails um and then beast men are actually more humanoid beasts in the traditional sense of like lizard men and werewolf kind of thing uh you also find out you know you find out other kind of world building things in the process of him wandering around being miserable and figuring out how to do things even if it makes him seem kind of like antagonistic like, like that's just, that's putting it lightly i think he freaking extorts uh a couple of merchants and so doing business with him oh yeah yeah he um, he does become a little villainous <laughs> a little he basically is like a villain he um, has to he, he i understand he i know he does because everybody's going to take advantage of him otherwise they spend a lot of time showing that as a, as well yeah so like they really want you to basically understand why he's so kind of surly and mean now um but they they continue with you also find out things like Melramark remark is a is a matriarchy meaning that you know women have all the all the power in the in the kingdom like the queen is actually higher than the king uh you find out people uh, people in the kingdom think demi humans are less than human so they treat them like trash and are basically racist against them and enslave them and deny them good things you know so there's a lot of this world building going on uh kind of ahead of everything that's why i say like the 40 minutes of the first episode really kind of help lock in a lot of that so you're ready to go for this world whatever everything kind of kicks in here in episode two um you know he, he gets uh he finds like basically the the ringmaster circus clown guy that's selling the slaves kind of kind of uh pokes him a little bit and gets him to buy a slave with the whole thing that they have slave crests where they can't lie to the master and they can't disobey an order. So he can't be betrayed like he was by the people that he came there with and thought he could trust. So it kind of ends up being that way. And then you, you get Raph and she, she's looking pretty rough and he's, you know, kind of mean to her, but then he feeds her like a full meal. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, grumpy dad thing going on. Yeah, and, yeah, I agree. That that's kind of more what it is. Like he's he is a little hard and cold hearted towards her, but yeah, it he does start warming up as he's taking care of her and makes her understand what what he needs from her so that she can you know be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do love the fact that the, it becomes kind of a running joke that he's he people you know view him as a villain while also viewing him as a hero. So it's kind of, it's kind of a weird dichotomy going on there. Um, You know, they spend a lot of time looking at people's eyes in these episodes too. So there's kind of this common like theme going on that, you know, the like trauma can be seen in people's eyes. So they kind of focus in on Raptalia's eyes uh, when she's in the cage and, and kind of coming up and then they change. And so does like now Fumi's as they go on. Um, and I, I like how there's like all these horrible rules involving demi humans, and now Fumi's just like fuck it, I'm gonna do whatever I want. Yeah, I mean, no one's gonna, no one's gonna fight him for it. No one's gonna do anything. He's he's the shield hero. I mean, he's just gonna pop out a couple of balloon monsters anyway, and just do what he wants. <laughs> yeah, that that was a highlight of the the episode for me was whenever he, uh, it, you know, he basically 
uh, extorts a merchant by being like, "Hey, all these random monsters that don't hurt me are attached to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw them at you so you can be attacked and hurt." It's it's so it's such a wacky thing to do. Yeah, it, it's like it's this it's this act of depra- desperation that comes off as almost comical, and I, I really liked that about it. Um, and God, episode two, we got we got Raftalia, and we've learned a lot about her, and it shows them kind of getting closer. Um, it, it gets kind of a montage towards uh, later in the episode. It actually, you know, shows her fighting monsters and him kind of like being there to help out and things like that. Yes, sir. And in episode three is actually kind of where they pick up and get a little better. Um, Raph and Nafumi are getting back into the city and they, they run into the heroes who kind of try to tell her about the rumors of Nafumi and his alleged crimes against uh, mine. But he tries not to let her hear him, and he tells her to, you know, shield your ears or whatever. Don't listen to them, whatever. So he he gets away from them, and that wave actually hits. Wave one of this selection of heroes uh, has now hit. And we see one of the coolest sequences, probably in the whole series, of him and Raph doing this really cool tag team where you get to see them flex their ability to be the sword and shield. And it was... It was really cool, really neat to see. I probably watched it like four or five times where they're fighting off these monsters. And it was uh, it was really neat. I just enjoyed it. Um, what did you think about uh, episode three? So this is where we actually finally get to see some real good action in the show. Um, I was really blown away by how well it's animated. Um, I mean, I'm watching it on Blu-ray uh, here at the house, but... I was impressed, you know, because animation changes for action and sometimes it can get a little wonky, uh, i.e. some odd screens you might see from uh, Naruto or something like that. Like you've ever seen those weird kind of morphed faces because they're trying to do motion and animation. And depending on you know who's doing it, it can be good or bad. Right. And I really feel like this one, this one was done really well. And I like the fact that they use strategy from the get go, like teamwork and strategy. A lot of times, you know, in these these uh, kind of like power fantasy type shows, you know, it's just a main guy like screaming an attack and just like blowing everything out of the way. But he actually and it starts going over like the fact that he has multiple shield forms and he can use them in conjunction with his team and and take on these, you know, bigger challenges. And I thought that was a lot of fun. And I really love the fact that the action is just really kinetic, if you will. It, like they move around a lot um they and he uses his shields for helping boost and and things like that and they you know they keep getting better as things go on for sure this is also like where you see that you know despite him being a surly grumpy asshole um the wave hits and all the other heroes are like let's go fight this thing over here and he's the only one that really goes and defends people yeah he stays behind and helps an entire village survive a big zombie attack while the other guys are trying to go fight the big flashy monster but he's actually saving lives and taking care of people and this is where you start seeing more and more of just the shittiness of the kingdom like the knights show up you know late to to defend the town and then they they end up you know kind of just abandoning it and of course there's a few knights in the group that are like i don't really like what's going on so i'm gonna stick around and help the shield hero and like the night captain's like, well, fine, fuck you. And they run off and shit like that. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty much, it's like everybody's treating now Fumi horribly 
you know, no matter what it is. And some people are kind of warming up to him, even if he is grumpy and, and that stuff. But so you get to see him actually be a hero, but, you know, still being his, his distrustful self and everything at the same time. So uh, you, you kind of not really sold on him being a, a fully altruistic hero, which I don't think he ever really becomes one. No, so. <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, so episode four, we see the kingdom and more so the heroes learn that Ralph Talia is a slave and that now Fumi has been using her or supposedly using her, uh, which means he calls out orders and just obeys her around when really she's working with him. It's not like he he's calling out orders and she's being shocked to go do everything because whenever a, a slave owner calls out something to the slave, there's normally like a shock on the slave mark and they mm-hmm. have to go do that order, whatever it is. So someone has told them that Raph is a slave and the spear hero Motoyasu uh, has now challenged the shield, uh, wow, shield hero for a fight for her freedom in a one-on-one duel. And while him and the shield hero are fighting, they, you know, they fight, but they both have interjections from both sides. Uh, the shield hero has little mini monsters within that he throws that are supposedly ruled as a outside <laughs> source instead of a tool, whatever. And mine, who is the princess that accused him of his egregious crimes, uh, interjects and throws a whole magic firebolt at him or a magic wind bolt, whatever it was, a magic bolt and causes the shield hero to lose. And it was insane. It was really rough. And the shield hero ends up going into a, uh, like a small uh, mind palace where he unlocks a curse, not a curse shield, a, uh, what did he unlock? It was some kind of, uh, it was a power shield but he unlocks something through all his frustration. He yeah, it's the curse shield. It is, this okay. is the, fir- the first appearance of the fact that it could exist. Like it doesn't really materialize, but basically it unlocks the potential for it. Yeah. So he gets that while he's in this frustration because he's lost Raftalia. He now has no way to truly defend himself or fight back. Well, I mean, he can defend himself. He's a shield hero, but he can't fight back. But in the meanwhile, there's a conversation going on while he's crying on the field that Raftalia says, he, he treats me fine. I'm not, I'm not being treated bad as a slave. I'm doing a lot better. He helped me get better. And all while, all the while, uh, no one's trying to hear her say it. They all think he's a bad guy because mine's actually telling them all this stuff. She tells them that, oh, he, he's misusing that slave of his and abusing her. And, so they're all just hearing what she says as the princess. And that's that's what starts all this, is just mine being a little shit. But she eventually goes back to the shield hero and lets him know that she's going to be there for him. Steven, yeah, this uh, is... Oh, sorry, what were oh, your thoughts? No, no, go ahead. Like, it's just, this This episode was... This is a tearjerker. This is this one hurt my heart. Yeah. Um, but, like, I won't lie, my first viewing, it, this, was a, this was a rough one, because for, for one... I understand why it's happening, but this continues to be something that happens throughout the show. And that is the fact that everybody keeps trying to humiliate this guy. He, you know, and just tear him down. And and for no reason, like, I mean, you find out, you know, mine is actually princess Malty, daughter of the King. And, 
and she's been playing games the whole fucking time. And mm-hmm. I, I do I, like I do love the the duel that is thrown out, especially because the first time he's like, "I challenge you to a duel because you have a slave." And now he's like grabs his, his gloves. He's like, what? "What? Oh fucking hell! What? What's happening now?" Yeah. Um, but he ends up getting in this this match, and he's just like trouncing the dude using strategy and and actual you know skill because he's actually been in battles and stuff like that. And everybody's against him. I mean, even to the point, you know, mine throws the spell and cheats him out of his victory and shit like that. Um, I did like for like, so it's just like these moments that don't make sense character wise for me. Cause like for, for once the, the other heroes like uh, Ren and Itsuki jump in there. Like, no, I, that was definitely cheating. Like I'm, I'm sure I saw that spell. Like they're kind of like sticking up for him, but then, they turn around and berate him, and, and it's like, the, you know, they take Reptalia and forcibly remove her her slave crest and things like that. You know, all while Nafumi's basically, you know, having a mental breakdown inside his own head and unlocking, like, one of his strongest, uh, you know, pieces of equipment. And, you know, he she basically assists her and lectures all of them. They're like, they're like just because I had that doesn't mean he treats me horribly. And, you know, they, she talks sense to him. And like calls out Malty, like just literally tells people how it is, and people are just like, "No, it couldn't be. You've been brainwashed or some shit like that." And everyone's like, "Just that stupid," and it, it bugs me. But uh, I, I know it's supposed to create dramatic tension and continue to push this whole um, humiliation and betrayal. Like uh, a big thing is like early on when it first happens. Like this is a detail from the first episode when he first gets betrayed. When he goes to try to eat, he can't taste anything. And this is the episode where at the end of it, when she finally reaches through all his like, you know, mental breakdown and admits that, you know, she wants to be with him. She's always going to be with him. And he finally has someone that recognizes him and trusts him and is, is, you know, truly some, someone that's important to him. Like, it's like everything breaks through. And at the end of the episode, um, after he's left with Reptalia and things like that, uh, he can they eat and he can taste food again because he finally has somebody that he can lean on and, and like emotionally and uh, you know trustfulness I guess wise uh, connect to and yeah. that's a uh, this is also where he instantly all of a sudden recognizes that she's now an adult and they explain that essentially demi humans as they level up basically go from from little little creatures to adults pretty much instantaneously. So this is where he finally recognizes that she's bigger now. Cause for the most part, he's been stuck in this moment and until he found someone he could connect to. And now it's like, now he can see the world around him and he can taste food. He was just trapped in his own misery and hatred, like the whole freaking time. And this is where he gets to come out of it. And I, I'm not going to lie, despite some stupid acts and some moments where like, like granted, like adults just aren't even using their heads. And it was still an emotional moment and really kind of... I, I liked it. It was a lot of fun. And you get to see the queen at the end of the episode with her little uh, secret ninjas. So uh, that's cool. Yes, the queen. And <laughs> then we have... Uh, we also have two more reveals within this episode. Or it may not be within this episode, but they're pertaining to... Uh, we see the Pope for the first time who becomes oh, yeah. a big player in this uh, in this saga of the shield hero. Um, who we'll get into later when his arc arises. And then we also have the king and his shenanigans, who we also find out is running the game between uh, Mine and the shield hero. He's in cahoots with Mine and making sure that everything is playing against the shield hero uh, for not better, but always worse. No, no better at all. 
So he's always trying to make sure that something's going wrong and that he, that shield hero is always in the, uh, the darker of uh, anything at, at any cost. So that's, that's kind of what this whole situation was about was, you know, they, they allowed that magic bolt from mine, but he told Mm -hmm. everyone to not pay attention to it. So it was, it was really weird that somehow an audience could, you know, see that and just be like, Oh, but I guess it was. I, I mean, like in a in a monarchy or a matriarchy, you know, basically, especially in nobility uh, courts like that, if the king says so, it goes. If the king's like, you saw nothing. You're basically Jedi mind tricked into that shit. You're like, yeah, you're right. We saw nothing because he can basically strip your titles and your, your land and all kinds of shit like that. Oh, and that's yeah. the thing. It's like, how far does this go? This is such a traditional fantasy world. Like they like some of the heroes may think of it as a game, but like now Fumi's like one of the few people. And the viewers that it's like this is a real world and it's got real things going on and you got to pay attention. And I think that's something that continues to be brought up as the series goes forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And we so, get into episode five, which is uh, which is I like episode five because it's just kind of mundane to a certain degree, and it's a lot of moments where we hit some anime tropes, and I just can't help but laugh about yeah. it. I really can't. I mean, like you start up with them leaving, you know, the the court after everything has gone down, and and uh, uh, basically, there's just this look to Rafatalia. She takes, you know, uh, Naofumi away. It's like she could just be like, "Fuck these guys, let's go." And you know, she gets a new slave crest just to show her devotion and things like that. But uh, uh, she was trying to show cleavage, and he pretty wasn't much, trying like, to see it. Yes, here we here we are. We're clearly the first the first girl has a crush on the main character, much to his oblivious nature, and she's like trying to show off and get him to look at her, and he's just like, yeah, whatever, just kind of blowing off things. And um, yeah, you get you get you get to meet uh, the the slave guy there again. He this is a, an opportunity for him to offer up uh, him the chance to buy a filolial egg uh, to grow a filolial, which is basically like uh, fucking chicken it's a cho- it's a chocobo god it's it's like a multicolored chocobo well no chocobos can be multicolored so yeah it's it's pretty much chocobos but for rising of the shield hero chocobos um, but worse i hate filoleals i hate feeling oh really i i did not i didn't like anything involving filoleals yeah uh, <laughs> just dumb i i uh, like the filoleals but the i understand how somebody could not I think at the it, same time. if Philo wasn't a part of it, if it didn't turn into a human that liked the main character, I think I maybe would have had a respect for, for transportation, but it turns into a human and it likes yeah. the main character. Yeah. It's so really basically, weird. yeah, it, it's unusual. First, first of all, like they basically make a comment about it being like a gotcha game and, and, you know, Raftali is there kind of like harassing Naofumi for wasting money and uh you, oh and of course the the egg hatches and they do a little montage of them taking care of it and that sort of thing and then it turns it bigger and then it turns into a little human um that has angel wings so yeah it, it's definitely kind of an odd jump i i will i will be i'll be honest i was surprised that was the next character to show up cuz i like the idea of them having to have transportation and things of that nature um why couldn't it so, be a buffalo? Like a buffalo a, a would have buffalo. been real cool. I don't know. There could have been fifty different animals, but a chicken is just 
just kills me. And then she so, talks. And when she talks, it hurts. It hurts so, <laughs> so bad. So you don't like you don't like the voice of the dub. That's I don't sure. like anything about. I don't Lilo. think you'll like the voice on the Japanese dub either. So mm. uh, we're just gonna we're gonna chalk it up to uh, you know my kohai here being a uh, a philo hater. Um, <laughs> That's fun. other fun other fun moments in this uh, in this episode is like we're gonna we're gonna start seeing the trope of like them getting stronger. Like they go to the, they go they get help from people now because they saved loot and they get the ability they get told they can use magic. And of course, it makes sense. Raftalia Bina Tanuki can use illusion magic and and in light magic, you know, things that would make you, you know, kind of invisible and stuff like that. Because because traditionally, Tanuki can transform and and turn themselves into different things, basically kind of like an illusion. So it makes sense that Raftalia gets that that spell. And of course, he's a shield hero, so he gets healing and support. Um. And so they get this full, they get some information, you know, Raftalia tries to hit on the main character. Um, they get it, they grow the bird in a montage and they go off to loot and like show up just in time uh, uh, to have Motoyasu, the uh, spear hero, show up with Malty. Stupid. And, stupid. And, and, stupid. And, and apparently be given the town of loot to be in charge of. And they and so this is one of my favorite scenes in the episode because it's not just the crowd, and but like now Fumi as well, basically sit there after he he proves that he's horrible at economics and basic math, and like even the crowd's like no that doesn't make like he's charging this absorbent amount of money to on a toll to get in and out of this little tiny town and everybody's like. That doesn't make sense. We don't even make enough money to do that. And now Fumi's like, if you pay this, this, and this, like he does math for the spear hero. And it's like, does that make sense to you, spear hero? And he's just like, it looks uncomfortable the whole fucking time. Yeah. And I, I love it. Like it's, it's just this this moment when everyone's like, You're an idiot. You're a fucking idiot. And it, it's great that the show does moments like that and has them call out. And this is where you start seeing a little bit of the crack in the armor that, like, plot armor that Malty ha- has as well, because one of the queen's ninjas shows up and, uh, like, says something, and she's like, "Oh fuck! All right, well, we're out of here for now." Team Rocket blasting off again, um, <laughs> and you know that that's kind of a silly thing. I hate this episode so much. The whole <laughs> race, the whole race. Oh, that's right. The race was, happens. God, it was so dumb. It was three D. Oh, that's another thing. I the 3D animation for most of this series is so weird, and I don't like it. Maybe I just don't <laughs> like 3D animation in my anime. But I don't know. There's been some good 3D animation animes, but there's also been some pretty bad ones too. So. Yeah, I don't. Maybe, I forgot uh, about the race all the I, way. Through. I wish I could, because <laughs> the only purpose was to get Motoyasu kicked in the balls by Philo. So See, that, I, that's what I was gonna say. Like that—that's the highlight moment of like I guess the second half of the episode is it basically Motoyasu gets kicked in the nuts. Um, I did like the the sort of like initial D type shit happening during the race. Yeah, you know, yeah. like they're trying to trip him, and so she like runs up on the side and does some kind of fucking flip or something. Oh my god! Like I could motion. I could picture just deja vu playing when they're racing, and that would have made that scene <laughs> so much better. I would appreciate it ten times. I'm like, gonna make that. To, we need to make that a YouTube video or something. And just throw it on there. I'm, I'm working Absolutely. on it. Working on it now. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, now you have now you. This is the episode. You get the you get the bird. You race the bird. Bird turns into human girl, and you know here we go. It's fucking um, stupid. 
I do, I do, I do love the moments with the bird though, because the bird can transform between human and, and bird at will. Um, so that's it's really hilarious moments for me. Like, so we're going into episode six. So they're, they're back in town again, you know, just because I now Fumi can't decide if he's leaving or not at any given time in the first part of the series, which is hilarious. He's like, I fucking hate all these people. I'm leaving, and then he's back in town again hanging out with his blacksmith buddy that was like the only person that like put up with him when everybody thought he was a criminal. And now he's always going to him, like using his, his shop as a meeting place. And he's like, you brought back another weird person. And you know, the, you know, the Philo asks if she can have some of his lunch. He's like, yeah, you can have some. And turns into a giant fucking bird, eats the whole sandwich. Like <laughs> this is a moment that I just laughed at. I'm like, what is going on in this world? <laughs> I'd be so pissed. You, you want this raptor bird in my house? She ate my sandwich. Oh, God. But ep- what else happened in this episode for episode six? Oh, God. Uh, uh, good Lord. Like, you ch- check your notes. Like, tell, tell me what happened in this I, episode. I, I spent a lot of time laughing at Philo. I said, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you enjoyed her. <laughs> but so we learned a little bit more about Philo and the Philolial Queen origin as it becomes pertinent later. Um, they see someone that can actually sew her clothes and get her dressed up in armor and stuff. So they, they spend a good majority of time with that and they go on a, a mission to clean up one of the uh, other heroes messes um, as becomes the theme through the next couple of episodes. Uh, the shield hero actually uh, on his adventures sees the, the havoc that the other heroes have caused and he's kind of become the nanny for them and is cleaning up the messes they make. And this is one of the messes they find. And Philo gets to go on this mission and help them out with it. And they get to discover a little bit more of her abilities and uh, see what she can do. And that this is kind of her mm-hmm. flexing her muscles. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's pretty much a, it's pretty much a, you know, showing what kind of skills Philo has episodes and kind of random adventures. So there's not a lot of like, you know, I mean, like they share a little bit about the Philolial Queens and stuff like that. So, there's, but there's not a lot of plot driving this one. It's a lot of just kind of like filler fun antics um, you get to see now Fumi be the asshole that he is normally and do some like really kind of underhanded shit that, you know, people are not okay with. This also comes into the point where this is where he gets the armor that the, the blacksmith makes him. And he's like, are you trying to make me look like a bandit king? And literally later in the episode, bandits try to rob them and he beats, they beat them so bad. He robs the robbers <laughs> so he clearly is the bandit king in this situation. He literally yeah. became the bad guy that the blacksmith is trying to dress him up as. So that's a fun little moment. The seamstress is a personal favorite moment in the episode for me because she's so fucking excited. Like it's she's so excited to be like making this dress for this little girl. And so they have to go find this uh crystal that they that you use to make magical threads so it like you know changes form with uh the you know gigantic bird that turns into a little girl. So she doesn't basically blow up her clothes all the time. And I do love the fact that they address that. Mm-hmm. There's too many times in this, in like series where it's like something changes shape and they're just like, yeah, magically these clothes change, but th- they actually have to go search, search this out, which I think is cool. Um, I think uh, honestly, like the fight was good enough. It was decent action, but it was pretty short. Um, I think my favorite, and there's a little bit of antics where it's like Raftalia is getting jealous of the bird girl and then you get to the seamstress with the magic thread and she clearly has stayed up all night. Like they highlight the fact that she has like shadows and bags under her eyes and everyone's like, are you okay? 
but she was so excited to make this dress and for for the for philo and uh i i end my statement about this episode being mostly just silly shit and kind of like filler with the fact that i have you ever played the disgaea series of video games i've played the fifth one a little bit oh man so in the first game there's a there's literally an angel character who has long blonde hair a blue bow and kind of a white long dress shirt sort of turning me off to it you're turning me off yeah (laughs) philo looks exactly like the flan character from the first game and it's just like it it's it's, sometimes when i'm watching it i'm like oh yeah this isn't this guy um so yeah that is uh that is the end of our one of our filler episodes here where they just kind of test out you know philo and go on some adventures um, and you can tell that it's supposed to be that way because they really don't have any stakes going into the next episode. It's just like, yeah, stuff happened. Yeah. And it's, then you, you start fresh. Yeah. We got another one of that episode too, where it's, they go to this other village. There's this big tree that got planted and some kind of backstory with the hero that told them to go get this seed and now it's taking over. Um, so they have to work on getting this tree chopped down and, you know, so the village can survive. And there's a really cool, pretty fluid fight scene with the teamwork between Raph and Philo. And, and it, it looks really cool for me. I, I really enjoyed it. But it's just another one of those missions where they, they go work together. But at the end of it, that, that's just the first half is this little filler, uh, the first filler mission. The second half is another, fi- <laughs> I was about to say Philo filler mission, but it's another <laughs> filler mission where Raph and Philo compete again to go get some kind of rock that gets the, uh, to try to make Nafumi more affectionate towards uh, Raph or Philo respectively, whoever gets the rock and gives it to him. So it's, it's just more filler, but it, you know, it's still Nafumi going around cleaning up another hero's mess is the origin of this episode. Yeah. So they, whenever they were going after that weird gym, uh for making magic thread they encounter a, a treasure chest that has a warning on it and it's already been looted and this is where you get to see what happened to that treasure so the spear hero shows up and the town's suffering from famine so he plants this magical uh plant and takes off and it turns into these like deadly vines that also spawn monsters and like you know are have parasitic plants that get like infect humans and he just shows up and cures everybody he fights the plant and gets all taken care of and they uh they uh you know actually fix the plant so it can actually grow food for them so so not only did they don't they don't end up in famine again so he's you know this amazing hero guy but he still wants to a reward for everything so everyone's kind of like awkward like this has happened multiple times in the series is like everyone's like thank you for saving us he's like i'm gonna save you for free give me something yeah that's how he got his wagon and he's it's just kind of a dick the whole time and it's always these awkward moments at the end of his like endeavors and it, you know that's how he gets his wagon. In this case, they give him a whole bunch of the fruit um, from the plant that he fixed and everything, and, and he moves on with his life. Uh, this is also tropey too, because you end up with a hot springs episode. That's that's what this ultimately is about, like uh, in the second half. But they it's so that, lame. You don't even they see stop anything. That has, uh, it's uh, they end up like going to hot springs, and there's some some other tropes in there, like the uh, the milk bottle after the the hot spring. That's a pretty common thing. It's like considered kind of like tradition to chug a bottle of cold milk after you've been in a hot spring or something or a hot bath. Um, I didn't know you'll that. See it. Yeah, you'll see it in a lot of series, uh, uh, you, you, dating all the way back to like Rama and stuff like that. So, hmm. 
It's a pretty common trope. So is the them being chased by a boar in the forest. And when they come across, like, they, they end up, like... Because this is all about, you know, Raftalia and Philo teaming up to, you know, impress Naofumi instead of being against each other. Because every time they, they're against each other, things go fucking horribly wrong. Um, so they end up teaming up to beat this boar that chases them through the forest, which is pretty a pretty common thing that happens in anime. Anytime there's, like, a character that needs to meet another character in a forest, like, almost always one of them is being chased by a boar. And, uh... So and they they kill the boar and they take it back to town and and you know sell it and get him like some kind of like uh, hammer for making jewelry or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they get him a and, tool for his smelting or whatever. Yeah, so because he's all of a sudden become a crafter and like you know a traveling healer and like he's alchemist a businessman. Yeah, yeah, he's just a little entrepreneur. Yeah, they call him the savior of the heavenly fowl because he's got this big fucking bird with him all the time and. You know, he's going around healing everybody. Uh, of course, no one mentions that he's actually kind of like a, you know, conniving, scheming dick <laughs> that wants dick to take all your money. Yeah. yeah. And so, and there's also like another thing I kind of like came to realize on this episode is like at the end, at the end of the episode, after the, you know, the songs at the end, they don't do like a next time kind of like, uh, you know, clip show kind of thing and like give a, a quick summary or some kind of thing like characters talking. It literally shows things that are happening afterwards and then it's like, it does a quick card that says like episode so-and-so and then it jumps to the next episode immediately. I like that a lot more. It feels a lot more natural. Like things are, you're just catching the tail end of what happened in this episode and go smoothly into the next episode. Cause this doesn't, this isn't, the series doesn't spend a lot of time on humor. Like it has its moments when, when Motoyasu gets kicked in the nuts um, and you know, these, these kind of silly moments that are very, you know, like every time Raftali or Philo try to be like, I love you master. And he's like, Oh yeah, I love you too. Cool. All right. I'm going to go get some, some, you know, money or something. Like he just, he doesn't care. He's, he's just, he treats them like nothing. So, and that's supposed to be played up for fun for a while. And mm-hmm. yeah, but that is, <clears throat> that's where we are. That's where we end episode seven. All right. So now we are in episode eight, which is another one of the cleanup episodes from where you see now Fumi going around cleaning up his, you know, partner's messes. But this one is probably the most pertinent of the cleanup episodes uh, because we see the zombie dragon. So these guys get called up to a village where they actually have to go kind of help heal a bunch of the villagers. They're all being somewhat poisoned by the air so they all have to put on their mask or mask is their their mask uh not unrelatable to what we're doing now and they go and investigate what's going on to find this giant corpse of a dragon that was slain by i believe the sword hero i don't remember which one it was yeah it was ren the sword hero ren yeah so he he slayed this dragon and left the corpse instead of following up with it and seeing you know what they needed to do unlike what now Fumi's done where it's like, you know, Hey, you need to clean up these messes or you need to take care of this. Cause I'm not helping you. Cause that's your job instead of doing anything with them. But he does leave them with a task to take care of it, I guess not hypocrite anyway. So he, uh, <laughs> so he, uh, you know, goes and tries to follow up with this dragon and sees the corpse. And as they get closer and closer to it, the dragon becomes awake and it is a zombie dragon. And we find out that, the Lolioles and the dragons don't get along and Philo is almost instantly triggered and she starts attacking it. 
uh, this this fat chocobo and the dragon are going at it, and now Fumi and Raph Tally are both trying to stop her, trying to call her to come back and stop that. And you know, suddenly the dragon eats her and swallows her whole. And I was pleased. I was not mad, but I, I understood the weight. <laughs> I understood the weight of what it was supposed to be happening here. You know, oh my God, he just lost one of his friends, one of the one of the crew of the Shield crew, and it was supposed to be a sad moment. And he he has another one of his shutdowns where he he goes into this inner turmoil turmoil about you know, oh God, you know the curse shield's activating. I can't do this world anymore, and he gets this flame about him. And he starts losing his shit. And Raftalia kind of brings him out of it with damage to her. And he realizes what he's done. Kind of like uh, what I have in my notes is that I, I compared it a lot to Naruto meeting Orochimaru and Shippuden. Where he loses his shit and he gets the fourth tail. And he attacks, uh, attacks Orochimaru and Kabuto while they're on the bridge. And Sakura gets hurt. And it I, I kind of drew an analogy to that. But... Uh, Raph pulls him out of it and he realizes he's hurt Raftalia at the same time. And they eventually end up defeating the dragon and Philo pumps herself out of the stomach and is safe, unfortunately. <laughs> and I, that was, it was dumb. What did, what, what did you think about the whole episode the, the, the faux death of Philo and the zombie dragon? Oh, I'm already enjoying your your extreme hatred of Philo throughout this entire uh, adventure so far. It's it's too funny to even really put into words because <laughs> I I've just I've been annoyed by characters before, but I've never been like, oh, they died. I'm so happy about this. <laughs> it's I, I was ready for it to die, and I I, I kind of. Well, I enjoy whenever shows you know aren't, aren't afraid to just rip someone away, not. Not the way Akami got killed did it, but I guess I can't really think of a parallel where they just, you know, introduced someone that was really meaningful to the character and, you know, just killed him right off the bat. I think kind of like Grimoire of Ash and Dust did. That was kind of a better way to just have someone meaningful and kill him. Or yeah. I guess for me and, you know, Philo was fine to do that too. Because it was, it, at least it would have been a relief off my chest to not have her just panicking around and Ugh, just being the worst. Yeah, Philo's a, a very unique character. Uh, kind of, kind of random at times. It, it it really kind of can't decide if they want Philo to be like this bird or if they want Philo to be an actual like character that becomes deeper. And uh, you know, uh, big surprise, it it doesn't really get more deep than that, honestly. And I guess that's that's fine for now. Uh, this episode was actually really good for me because it's where you really get some good action scenes for the first time in the series. I mean, there's been a few little shots of it here and there, but this is a pretty lengthy fight that they go through. I mean, they start out with, you know, Philo going after the dragon because they, you know, Philolials hate dragons. They mentioned it in the episode where she races Motoyasu on the, the little like uh Raptor dragon or whatever it was. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so she goes after it wholeheartedly and, there's some good action scenes and they're like, stop doing that. And then she just gets chomped. And that was a pretty good, good moment 
in terms of the action too, because it's sudden. Like if you're watching this for the first time, it's a surprise. And then they have what, what looks like blood. Uh, of course, you find out later on, it, it turns out she had eaten a bunch of the red fruit from the previous episode and like threw it up, which is a weird thing for her to do at that moment. Yeah, weird plot. But I guess her. I hated it. Yeah, hated yeah it. it was it was like I was like, oh, look at all the blood. Oh, no. And it, it's for that that surprise moment. But then later on, you're like, OK, that was kind of weird. But sure, let's go with it. Um I do love the the part where he continues to just be like hurt by losing everything he loves and seeing all of it. And that's when he gets his uh, his access to his curse shield for the first time. Hey, I thought it was interesting with like the the subtitles having kind of old style leet speak. You know, it's like yeah. lowercase, uppercase, some numbers are in the place of letters and and things like that. I thought that was really kind of a fun little uh, touch to add to it. Because it, it, I think it spends a lot of time this series trying to show that it's sort of like a game, it with like the status screens and everything, but it's still a world, and so that's what leads to things like the corpse being left behind. All these other guys are assuming this is like a game, and whenever something dies, it just disappears. And now Fumi's the only one that's realizing, no, things stay. This is this is a real world. We may have access to stats and things that are very game like, but it's not a game, and. It's it's going to be something that continues to come up as, as we go on. And you'll uh, we'll talk more about that too. Uh, but the the battle action scenes are really well animated. Uh, they don't get too sloppy, which I'm really happy with. I've seen some other series where the action scenes for for movement, the animation can get a little weird. One of my favorite ones is looking back at some of the action scenes from the pain fight with I knew, Naruto. Oh, God, I knew you were going to say it. I knew yeah, you were going to say it. Come uh, on, there's like a bunch of memes monster, out there of that thing. Monster. Yeah, I, I know, I know, but you knew it was coming, so you I can't did. be upset about it. <laughs> um, we also get to see how the the curse shield works and the fact that it can cause curses on people struck by it because Reptalia basically holds on to him as he basically berserks out and like lights are on fire with curse flames while he's trying to fight the dragon. Um, and and it's funny because she does bring him out of it and he doesn't really beat the dragon himself because this is where Philo all of a sudden like runs around on the inside of the dragon and eats this crystal that's on the inside of the dragon and just bursts out of its body. And it's like, oh, now it's dead because the giant bird ate its core and, and broke out of the body. Um, and then, of course, he gets his uh, he, he gets part of that crystal as well from the dragon and he puts it in a shield, which will become relevant as time goes on. I do like the fact that a lot of these small details that happen in these episodes do come back around uh, because while it does seem kind of like a, like cleanup episodes, they're, they're just kind of like random adventures. They, they, they seem so inconsequential. Uh, the way the pacing of the show goes is it really does start to drip back in everything that has happened to tell a bigger story. And that's kind of where episode eight is. You get some action. You start getting some more little details that seem inconsequential uh, for the time. And then you you kind of move on from there. Uh, I think the episode ends with them realizing that she's got a curse on her. And now they have to you know, figure out how to get that curse removed. And they find out that they can get it from the church, I believe. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's where we yeah. go into episode nine. But yeah, everything yeah. Is, is for a purpose with the show. And that that's it's really great because nothing is of no meaning it all comes back full circle at some point but in episode nine yeah there's so they realized that while ralph was ralph raptalia was touching uh now <laughs> she she did get cursed 
So they got to go to a church. A church. I'm, I promise I'm gonna get it together to uh, to go get her healed. <laughs> and along the way, they end up running into Melty, who is uh, not that they know it yet, but the next in line for the kingdom of Melramark. Um, so they end up befriending her, and she ends up taking a liking to uh, Philo because she has a fascination with the Philolials. So they end up becoming friends, and she joins the shield hero so that they can go to the town together and while they're there they run into motoyasu who uh, becomes the uh, probably the most largest set of sphincters in the middle of the city and decides to fight him and they all get shamed for fighting in the city but there they they find out that it's that melty is a mel remark and shield hero has nothing to do with her at that point and i I mean, I kind of suspected something was up with her, but I didn't think she was going to be part of the royal family. But it was a, it was a weird surprise, I guess, because I didn't know why she was out in the middle of the city with chickens or in the middle of a field with a bunch of philoleals. It was, uh, it's like, what are you doing? What is, what is your, uh, what's your mission here, little girl? What, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> what, uh, what'd you think? I I thought the the introduction was kind of unique. She's just kind of hanging out with all these birds in the field, and uh, you just kind of uh, f- figure out that she got lost. And she drops some hints that you know at the start of the episode that give you an idea that something's not completely normal here. She talks about being separated from her bodyguards, and uh, you know, getting you know kind of lost in the you know, with the philolials. So you kind of realize that like. Normal nobility don't usually have bodyguards in the sense that she's talking about. Uh, and of course, you know, she ends up tagging along with them and you get a fun little montage of traveling and it, it brings back one of my favorite parts is uh, Reftalia's uh, motion sickness, which hasn't been brought up for a bit. And I, I just really, I really find that hilarious that she's this badass warrior, but she has a hard time when in, in the, the wagon. And I know I know that it gets ignored because it's not something that needs to be brought up every time they're traveling around in a wagon. But it is it is funny to me. Um, it, you get back and they get back to the city and that's, you know, you start getting some details that are, you know, again, I, I like to highlight these now because it's interesting to notice it earlier on after you've watched the series once is, you know, now Fumi starts seeing these like kind of he starts dropping foreshadowing, you know, he's like, oh, the church. The church has no shield on it. It's just the other three. And then, you know, they're, they go to the church. And of course, you know, you got evil Pope in there. Like they didn't really hide that he was, he was evil. Like he looks evil from the get go. Yeah. My my wife caught on that. She was evil before I even thought he was evil. And I, I mean, I don't try to figure anything out when I'm watching a show. I let everything come to me that way. I, I get it as organically as I can, but she, she saw him and something he did. She's like, Oh, that's a bad man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you think so? <laughs> yeah. I love that. They try to, to hoodwink him with the, the holy water. And he's like, are you kidding me? Seriously? Yeah. I'm the fucking shield hero. And I can, I can see that this is not the good stuff. And so they had to give him the good stuff, of course. Uh, and that's when they run into Motoyasu in the city. And he, continues he continues to become like a super creep about philo like yeah yeah and you know of course (laughs) yeah it's such a weird thing to see every time that it happens because he gets really kind of uh 
super otaku about it. He's like, he's like my darling Philo. And it just comes across as really creepy. And I think they start to play it for fun after a while. And, uh, you know, the brawl breaks out. And because, of course, you know, the first princess, Malty, is there or mine, whatever you want to call her. It's funny throughout the series. I can't they can't just seem to decide which one they want to call her. I guess it's because when she's an adventurer, she's mine. And when she's a princess, she's Malty. But uh, of course, she's there instigating everything again and of course Motoyasu is an idiot and starts this fight in the middle of town and people are I think the best part of this episode is when all of a sudden the heroes are fighting and then the villagers are like you want to fight yeah let's fight and a whole fucking brawl a riot. yes they just they breaks out it's not I... like it's not like a movie where like a, a chair misses the hero and hits a guy and then he hits another guy it, it's just two guys that are talking to each other for a second and one of them just wax another one and then all of a sudden the whole street is full of people fighting and uh you know that's when melty shows up and is like enough and reveals that she's a princess and and they go through kind of introducing that fact and you get the the point that now fumi doesn't trust royalty after the episode with uh you know multi and the king and just everything he's gone through so far so he's kind of kind of shitty to her by the end of the episode. Yeah, un- it, unnecessarily so. She didn't deserve as much shit as she got, but it his Yeah, it wasn't deserved. I mean, he didn't have to be that distrusting because it wasn't mine nor the king. It was just Malty who or Melty who he traveled with and, you know, she seemed okay. Yeah, and there I at least admire the fact that the other uh companions he has are at least being like, Do you really have to be such a jerk to her? I mean, I get it, but she's not a bad person. And you know, that's where we're back in the town, uh, as we go into episode ten now. And uh, you know, we start getting into uh What's, what do you have for the next one? Like I, I have little little fun notes uh, for this one, but I'll, why don't you give us an overview of the episode? So this is where he starts standing firm about not entertaining Melty. Yeah, I don't want to hear what she has to say. She can get out of my face. And, you know, they all try to sway him to, you know, hey, you know, maybe we should hear her out about whatever she has to say. But while this is all happening, they get a bunch of young knights and people from the last wave that he helped save. From the village and they all say that they want to actually help them help the shield hero that is you know save people from the next wave so in his i guess fit of shittiness he tells them to go and spend this money and buy this trinket from him and his crew is like are you serious are you still doing this are, are you not <laughs> going to just let them help us <laughs> And so they they spend the episode going and getting money so they can buy this trinket from Naofumi. And it's it's just ridiculous. But in that meantime, Naofumi tries to go get upgrades for Raph and Philo. And the king doesn't allow the shield hero to go into the uh, dragon hourglass so that they can get their upgrades. Because it's the only place they can actually go get their class stuff is at this dragon hourglass. So they they go consult with the uh, the what did I call him uh, <laughs> the circus guy I don't I don't remember what I called it the carny and oh yeah <laughs> he uh, he tells them that they can at least go to another country and a- apply for it to to get it taken care of because other countries are a little bit more lenient toward other people especially a hero at least so they can get some kind of upgrade 
and then we finally get some shaming from the sword hero to the bow and the spear hero for their negligence and attention to their actions. He calls them out about what they've done and have failed to do uh, in terms of picking up after themselves and what he's been doing in the meantime. I Okay, so this is actually the source of one of the funniest jokes, at least in the dub. I, I don't remember if it's in the sub. Uh, sorry to interrupt the the kind of like overall take but they actually give itsuki the line uh with great power comes great responsibility and now fumi basically does a full-on spit take because he's quoting spider-man essentially <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it, he's like i can't believe he said it what the hell <laughs> I, he spits all over philo which you must have enjoyed oh yeah absolutely any kind of abuse she gets is better. It, or, or if she just gets cut completely. God, I can't wait for season two. But go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, he basically gets he basically lectures uh lectures all the other heroes at this point, doesn't he? Uh so this happens twice. This is round one of the shaming. Uh round two happens uh during one of the the bigger fights towards the end. So this isn't the mm-hmm. uh this isn't the complete ass reaming that everyone's going to get, but we'll get to that later on. Yeah, it's a it's a gentle one in in the tavern of all places. This like, is a pretty soft like... spanking, yeah, <laughs> a soft spanking. Uh, but yeah, they, they they ended up trying to go to the church, and I, as I recall, they actually tried to freaking uh, what is it? They kind of try to screw him again, and they tell him it's like six gold coins to do a class upgrade. And yeah. of course, he's been making money the whole time, so he's like, "I that's a lot, but." here fine and and then they just had to admit outright that no we're we're not gonna do that <laughs> at all so they tried yeah. to extort him for money and then tell him they're not gonna do it period and he yeah. snatched the coins right out of their hand it was yeah it was funny it's, that he just took it from nuns like, you know get the hell out of my face and then he just <laughs> it's just rough yeah and then he goes back to the they go back to the weapon shop guy as well and they he puts the dragon crystal in his armor, uh, which will become you know important, of course, later on. Uh, nothing is really done in this show with without any intent. But I I still love the hilarious commentary about him trying to make him look like an evil bandit king the entire time, which uh, brings to mind the fact that it's kind of true. Uh, there was there was a moment in one of the previous episodes, I believe, uh, where bandits stopped them in the road. And they beat the shit out of him and then take the stuff that the bandits stole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. A, so, so he's just, he's still kind of this evil bandit king to a certain degree. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, of course. Oh, man. And uh, they continue to use the weapon shop as a meeting place, which is even funnier. Because um, he doesn't want them there. <laughs> Can't you guys go meet somewhere else? Like, don't you have better place to be? And they and they just ignore him the whole time, which is funny because you know he should kind of treat him with a little more respect because he was the only person that would help him out when the whole town went against him. Yeah. And now, and now he's just being used as a meeting place and kind of takes advantage of stuff. Um. But yeah, they, this is a I, the fact that he's trying to basically make the the soldiers pay for a trinket so that they can join him it just shows that he's still not trusting of anybody involved with royalty. Um, but this was a lot of setup because uh, this episode 
really is just a lot of setup for the coming episode 11 whenever we get into the next wave. So yeah. everybody's got new equipment. Everybody's gotten a, a lecture or some kind of ass reaming from uh, now Fumi, uh, you know, that continue to just make fun of them for not being good at anything they do, even though they think they're the best heroes. Uh, and I think we get a flash real quick of glass at the end of the episode. I don't remember any glass. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, it's kind of like a kind of like a like a stinger image before they go into episode eleven, where we get into the next wave. Okay. Uh, yeah. So so we've gotten a little bit of setup. Um, I, I really feel like that's the first half of this ser- this series is, is a lot of things that really kind of pay off as you get into the second half, and I love series like that. You know, little details that grow into more. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to kind of like getting into some of that as we go a little further. Uh, we get into episode 11, as a matter of fact, here when the, the wave starts and we get to see a lot of things I really, really like, uh, you know, because basically it's like, OK, second wave is happening and you get to see that now Fumi's prepared for it and is doing a lot more and handling the situation a lot more. But you also get to see some callbacks because he's still in loot if I recall correctly at the beginning of this one and you, you see the people in the town starting to fight. And one of those people that's starting to fight is this grandma doing some crazy Kung Fu. And she was a, so earlier in the series, he healed like this random old woman, you know, and it's like showing off his healing, like the fact that his hero abilities give him expanded healing. Uh, And, you know, it seems like this one-off character. And then you end up seeing, you know, the waves start and they're fighting in this town and there's this grandma just kind of like air kicking monsters to death. And she's just being funny and she's like, I'm not as spry as I used to be. And she kills three monsters with, you know, Kung Fu kicks. And it's like, I guess I'll just handle it around here. You know, she's just kind of goofy about the whole thing. Yeah, she was a really interesting, like third tier character that... I don't even remember if she got a name, but she was definitely funny to see and just one of the more fit extra characters whooping ass. But we also see the knights kind of doing extra or their their little gang of knights that they, they mm-hmm. ended up getting their trinket or whatever, proving themselves worthy of fighting with Naofumi and they're, they're whooping ass too. And it, it's kind of great. And we also, the bigger thing to see is the all the four heroes eventually get together at some point in this wave. And the things aren't a uh, things aren't as copacetic between the heroes, and uh, it, it's kind of going to shit. No one is uh, no one knows how to fight together. No one knows how to interact together. And now foam now foamy uh, <laughs> chill hero is uh, kind of a catalyst for maybe things going wrong. But he also knows how to fix things. So he's figuring out how to fight some of these complicated monsters while they're on this big boat. And he just helps, I guess, direct his team of uh, Philo and Ralph while they actually get them taken care of while the other guys are struggling. And one thing I hated every time they showed the other three heroes is everyone used the same moves of the same elements. They'd say Meteor Strike and Meteor Sword and Meteor Air or Thunder Sword, Thunder Strike. And no one tried anything different. And it was so annoying and frustrating. And I mean, now Fumi's not any better 
for the most part in combat, he only uses the same three shields up to this point, And a little bit afterwards, he gets like, uh, like two or three shields. He alternates between, but mm-hmm. I mean, it, at least his aren't limited to elements. Yeah. So this is actually uh, where, and I think they reserve the other shields for these big fights. Cause this is, truly where you get your big fights like the knights and the kung fu grandma hold off all the little monsters at the town so he can go up to these flying ships that are in this wave to help the other heroes fight uh, you know fight the uh, the big bad and you get up there and you know you see ren fighting some kind of like uh skeleton captain that keeps coming back to life but across the other side is uh you know I think Itsuki and the spear hero fighting another sort of pseudo mid boss. And they're just not getting where they're kind of arguing with each other. And they're, they're talking about it like, uh, you know, an MMO, you know, you guys, we need to actually do this because this is how it's done. They're kind of talking about strategies from a game and they're not getting anywhere. And of course now Fumi's just kind of watching this. And so is Raftali and them and uh, being unimpressed. It's, It's supposed to look as chaotic and uninformed as it does. And, I think it's really, I think it's really great too. Because again, somebody comes out of nowhere in this case, Raftalia, and lectures the main heroes on how teamwork and basic decency fucking works. And they, and again, they're like, yeah, but no, we, you know, we like to, we can work as a team, but you're not, and it's just ridiculous. And of course, Philo's in the, in, in the back, still making fun of the spear hero, which is legitimate. And you kind of get into this whole point where he solves the problem. Like he basically takes, he figures out there's some other thing in the background that they can't sense. And they start taking it out and they get the, the true big bad, which is this uh, nasty ghost looking creature called the soul eater. And uh, of course they, he has to bust out the, the curse shield to take it on. And so you get to see the curse shield going down. And at this point he's actually got a little bit of control over it. So it doesn't seem to, completely take him over uh and then you know as things are not progressing you get uh, what i like to call his hate powered power ranger gear yeah uh, that's because he yeah he activates it to a higher level to beat this you know soul eater and uh so all of a sudden this you know dark evil looking armor latches onto him as he kind of starts to go out of control again they kind of bring him back again and he started now this is where you get to see more of the shields combining into uh bigger attacks because I, I think this is where he reveals his uh iron, iron maiden, maiden attack. yeah yeah so he like come like he captures the the creature in the shield prison and then like stabs it with like some kind of like spike shield and like, like it drags it up in the air and it all turns into like a giant iron maiden and it eats the monster yeah it <laughs> and was kills sick. it it was cool yeah the action in this show is still really holding up because uh, a lot of time is devoted to some of the battles. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The fact that every time the three heroes do any kind of attacks consecutively, it's always the same elements and nothing is different. And I guess that's the point is to show the difference in abilities, but it's still annoying. Uh, and then, you know, at the, uh, they basically beat the, they think they beat the, the wave by being the soul eater and, and all that. And then we get the appearance uh, for the first time of glass. It's like a human enemy. I didn't realize that when you were saying glass, 
I didn't realize you meant her. I was just looking through my notes and I didn't, <laughs> I see glass now and I didn't realize that you meant her. I thought you meant like <laughs> a picture of glass when you were talking about it before. And I was like, what, what <laughs> no. the hell? Why, why was there glass? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, no, glass is actually one of my favorite characters uh, in this series. And, you know, the more she shows up, the more I like her. Because she's like at this point, she's shown as being like some kind of like super powered enemy to, to the point where. You know, she shows up at the end and the wave isn't over and that's where the episode ends. And you go straight into episode 12 where that battle begins. And uh, she basically mocks the the three other heroes and, you know, says, oh, you aren't worthy of fighting me. But this one will do. And she's talking about now Fumi. And so he ends up having to take her on all by himself. Which leads to her showing off. She uses fans in this case with like some kind of like magic attached to them, and uh, I like the way she, see she gets cool names for her heroes, uh, like her not her hero but her her attacks, like it's uh, some kind of movement or something like that. Yeah, and and they there's like zero movement stance or something like that, and she attacks that way, and it's even funnier because to show how ridiculously powerful she is, they have another soul leader or two come out and she kills them just to basically like flex on the heroes with ease. Yes. <laughs> it was great. It was a good show of power for her. Yeah. And, uh, she continues to battle throughout the whole thing. She battles now Fumi and basically takes on all of his attacks and, and strategies and just kind of, you know, shrugs it off. And she's like, is that really all you got? Very mockingly, which uh, you got to love an overpowered villain or antagonist that just kind of laughs at the hero. And I mean, he even busts out the brand new move, Iron Maiden, like right after, like it's been revealed in this, this amazing moment. And he, she's like, here, I'll take your strongest attack. And he does it. And then she just breaks out of it. No problem whatsoever. And, um, yeah, and it it was uh, good. It was good. I, I love that she withstanded his ultimate move. I, I was I was blown away. I was like, oh shit! <laughs> she she took the Iron Maiden to the face, and she yep. was okay. Well, well, fuck. I guess that's the end of the season. But it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Uh, and at this point, you know, she says she's running out of time, and so she has to kill him before that time runs out. And now Fumi grabs his companions and is like nope and they get the hell out of there as i recall yeah they they dipped off the boat and then they started this cool little canyon chase while the glass launched a attack from the flying ship on him and chased him and it, it was kind of cool that was probably one of my favorite scenes from this whole wave was just chasing him in the canyon and she her firing shards at him it was neat yeah yeah that was really cool and and then she has to disappear. Like she's been saying things throughout the fight that sound weird, like to save her world, he has to die. And it, that's just kind of and whenever he looks at her with the status screen to see stats, she appears as glitchy, sort of kind of like whenever he's dealing with the cursed shield and and things like that. So I thought I think those are cool little uh, additions to highlight that this isn't normal. This isn't the way everything's supposed to go. So you start questioning what glass is. What's her role? And it kind of moves you forward. And then she disappears with the with the wave and it's over. Right. Um, and then that that actually kind of brings us halfway through episode 12 is when most of that wraps up. Yeah. So whenever they're finished with this whole wave and glass and their chase scene, 
um, Shield Hero and all the other heroes get called up to the king. And, you know, hey, this is all, you know, you, you get winnings, you get earnings, except for the Shield Hero. And I actually have in my notes here that the Shield Hero went in and flexed his massive throbbing 10-inch shield to the king and showed <laughs> that the king has no power over him anymore. And so this is Shield Hero's kind of defiance of the uh, of the throne. He's he's done answering to them, and he, he doesn't have to anymore because he pretty much single-handedly took the wave. He he didn't really need the other guys. They didn't prove useful or anything. And yeah, afterwards Melty found out what happened and she's somehow in the background been trying to meld this relationship between shield hero and the King. And it's been not working. So she goes and tries to find the shield hero and says that she needs, he needs to work it out with the King and no, not working. (laughs) <laughs> but she she's really trying to work it out. And while all this is working on, someone's trying to kill her uh, from the knights that escorted her. Someone just launches an attack and it, uh, it looks like it's just a thing to make the shield hero look bad. Because mm-hmm. now, not now for me, uh, Melty is now with the shield hero to protect her, not, not take her as hostage, but that's, what's been painted for the public. Now the, the devil of the shield has now taken princess Melty hostage after an attack oh yeah yeah that's uh that's where this uh, that arc starts is uh she's literally throwing a tantrum because he refuses to get along with the king and so they're going back and forth for a good couple minutes and then all of a sudden someone's like hey where'd all the soldiers go and then you know of course he ends up protecting her from some kind of attack trying to kill her yeah Clearly from the, you know, the bad knights. I mean, they all have bad faces and, and make little comments throughout the whole thing to make it clear they're the bad knights. And uh, so she ends up being dragged along to be protected by him. And that's that's how we get into basically what is the second half of the, the season. Uh, they basically take off with Melty and we go into episode 13 where we get a new opening song to match our new arc. I think a better opening song. I like this OP a whole lot more than the first one. I think it looks better cinematically. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. oh god, there's a really cool sequence where Lark shows up, who who we'll get into later. The where there's a part where Naofumi and Raptalia, not Naofumi, it, it's actually where Philo. This is the only part where I like Philo, but Philo and Raptalia are kind of running together, and it looks really cool because it looks like they're just whooping ass, and they are. And it looks really cool. That one of my favorite openings was just watching this one. I hated it dubbed. I hated listening to it though. God, it was rough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I like the opening animation to go with the song too. Like I I really like the kind of end of it where it's showing him kind of like blocking an attack, but then all his companions uh, slowly show up. Yeah, yeah, like they're kind of lifting it. I thought that was a really cool little image and. Uh, and the song is a lot of fun. It's the same artist that sang the first song, but I I think the second one hits a little harder. Oh, I yeah, man, different yeah, the, strokes. The, different the, the the uh, the artist is Mad Kid, and they did uh, the first song and the second song for the series. Actually, you know what? I think I remember seeing it or hearing it in Japanese a couple times, and it was better. But whenever it came on and it was dubbed, or like they no, sang really? it in English, and it was like, ah, oh, stop! I don't want to hear this no more. Please. Yeah. Well, I will give you a heads up that uh, uh, don't quote me. I, they may have done a dub version, but that might be the Japanese version that's in there because they sing in English in a lot of parts of the songs, even from the full length 
track. Oh, okay. Well then, I just may not be into it. Period. That may just be yeah. Me. Uh, this uh, it their their style kind of reminds me of like flow and uh there was another band that sang a lot in english and uh it, it, it i like beat crusaders but they had a lot of uh song lyrics in english so it kind of it was certain songs that they had they were they were the sound they were one of the main uh soundtrack contributors to beck uh mongolian chop squad oh yeah yeah and, and so they have some good songs but some of their songs are kind of like there's a lot of English in it, and but then it switches to Japanese, and sometimes the pacing of it kind of throws me off. But I just chalked that up to just different styles of music for different areas because language works differently uh, over here and uh, from there. Of course. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I just think that sometimes bands nail it and sometimes they don't. I'm a fan of the Mad Kid ones. Uh, it's they're pretty fun and they're energetic, and I, I recommend listening to the full track if you can. They're 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 in my playlist and uh, it's a pretty cool little song. Maybe I need to do that. Maybe I'm I maybe I need to just listen to the whole thing. But yeah, episode thirteen. So the crew, the Shield crew, start trying <laughs> to formulate uh, the assassination attempt and whether it was from the King or mine. Both of which Melty don't want to hear because that's her family. Mm-hmm. But the three heroes church is now coming into play, uh, which we've heard a little bit about up to this point. We've seen emblems, we've seen the building, but they are now becoming a prominent figure within the series. Um, yes. Yeah, they're the three heroes being everyone but the shield hero. Uh, Melty seems to know things about her dad and she's not sharing and standing her ground about it, but she's like, no, we need to we need to be friends with my papa and just because, and it's, it's pretty frustrating. <laughs> honestly, I, I kind of hated it every time she would start talking and then not share anything else. But uh, all- so, so this moment, this like, I, I get you there, but this is, this moment is actually meant to show that like now Fumi, when he started his journey in this world, like she blindly believes that her father is good. She doesn't believe any of the stuff it could be that bad. She like, she only knows her father as her father. She knows her family. You know, they, you know, aside from her sister, cause apparently everybody knows her sister's a horrible person, but they're totally cool with it. Yeah. Uh, but like, she loves her father and she refuses to believe the words of somebody else and that, or, or that something that bad could be the truth. I mean, you can even see it in the fact that she, she believes everything is just fine in her country and we're going to see that evolve and that's i think that's what that moment is for is to be like she is blind faith believing in her father and now fumi's trying to tell her otherwise and she refuses to believe it and that's where we go from there i can see that i can see that i would i'll take that fine but <laughs> uh sorry I, I look into these things like really hardcore sometimes that's good that that's what you're supposed to do senpai I mean, I'll take it at face value. But Mel- uh, yes. Melty explains that the queen is the true ruler. Uh, we get that it's a, a matriarchal land. And we also get a little bit more about the shadow, the uh, the people in the black cloaks that have been following around and harassing mine every time she starts acting up. And they, uh, they try to put her <laughs> yeah. back in line. And wouldn't you know, the bitch shows up and fucks everything up. And she she starts telling people that the shield can brainwash and that the shield hero has a sect of people that has been brainwashing the land. And Melty has come to this revelation now that she's going to be killed if she goes with mine. Now that she's been talking to mine 
and then mm-hmm. she she wants a throne and mine can't have it because mine is like you said you know everyone knows she's she's rough and she's not gonna have that throne but if melty's out the way mine can have it and so you know she she's gonna get killed she pleads the shield hero for help and after they escape they decide to go see the queen um that was probably one of my favorite parts was when she realized that she would get killed when she would go with mine and she actually Mm -hmm. pleads the shield hero for help I don't know why I felt it as a touching moment. I guess it was kind of like a, I do need your help. You know, can we please go? I, it just felt like a, I don't know, a connecting bit for them, but I was like, wow, you know, she, I guess it humanized her for me over, you know, she, she actually felt like part of the team for me there. Like, you know, Hey, you're in, we're helping you, but yeah, Philo isn't dead. So they can't replace her as part of the trio. But what did you think (laughs) of the, uh, of all that that was a lot okay. to unpack. Uh, yeah this episode has a lot of fun details that i'm a big fan of uh so they show at the beginning of this episode they're literally editing footage from whenever they first try to kill melty to make it look like they're killing soldiers and of course they give now fumi these evil looking eyes and like he's laughing while he's he's you know doing all this stuff and kidnapping the princess and killing soldiers and they even give like Raftalia evil eyes too and they add blood in uh, whenever she's striking the uh, the soldiers even though she was she was not actually mortally striking them or anything like that she was just fighting them with like hand to hand and using like uh, the flat of her blade and things like that and you see that this world while it's magical apparently clearly has the abilities to do things that like technology would. So magic basically just change, changes out for technology in this world. And you get these, you get this scene of this crystal in the footage and it's like, it changes and morphs as it's being shown in the crystal. And then it's, you know, basically uh, broadcasted across the, the whole region and everybody's, uh, you know, out there seeing this horrible footage and so you you have uh, now Fumi and and them trying to sneak around and avoid towns and seeing out in the wilderness and uh, which is which is you know pretty funny and uh, uh, they also have uh, you know a lot of like one on ones with Melty and and now Fumi where they start to understand each other a little more like she comes to listen to him talk about what he went through and she talks about her family. And this is where we get another fun moment where now Fumi laughs out loud at the King marrying into the family. Cause you know, they were explaining the matriarchy yeah, and that, and that he's not, he's not King in the traditional sense. Like he earned the throne. He married into the family and he's, he's the King consort. He's, he's not the guy in charge. He's just taken the place of the lady in charge at the moment. So he just laughs at, at that and and melty and him kind of like lighten up a little bit like he lightens up on that whole like i don't trust you because you're a royal thing and so you start seeing that kind of soften uh and of course they eventually get caught uh trying to avoid a a patrol and this is where you you have the heroes show up and and mine accuses the shield hero of having a brainwashing shield which is just the most ridiculous thing ever but everybody's like oh sounds reasonable he had all that crazy stuff during the battle that we didn't so he's clearly got to have something crazy like that and i i don't know it's it's just another case they even have another moment where 
they try to explain common logic to the heroes, but mine just keeps yelling louder over that character, saying things like, there's a brainwashing shield, and don't let them... She must have been brainwashed, too, and, and all this shit. And so everybody's just like, yeah. frustrating. <laughs> I, it, it is. It is really hard. And I know it's for the story, and I'm not trying to nitpick, but it is really hard to have, like, adult characters, because that's what they are. I think the youngest one is 16. Uh, but, you know, Motoyasu and, and Naofumi are the 20 and 21, respectively. And, like, these are adult characters making really dumbass decisions. Like, how did you get into college? I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and of course, you know, they, you know, this is where Melty realizes her sister's really trying to kill her. Even though she's a conniving, conspiracy-loving whore. Uh, she's like, oh, this is bad. And she launches this big fireball at at them, and of course Melty finally uses her magic and to stave it off. And this is actually a really interesting point. Melty and Malty are usually kind of portrayed as exact opposites. Uh, you know, Malty hates demi humans, is very intolerant, wants only things for herself, uh, and she uses fire. Melty, on the other hand, is very welcoming to Philolios, demi humans. She's looking out for the entirety of her country, and she uses water magic. And hmm. you'll see if you if you pay attention throughout the series, you'll see that a lot of times this, the character details from between the two princesses are exact opposites. And that that's there for a reason. And it's good writing, like from the original story. That's that's good stuff that that you want to add kind of that flavor, these fun things to notice about your characters, uh, about their connections and differences. And uh, it just adds a little bit of weight. And I like that type of thing. Uh, but I agree with you. The moment that Melty figures it out and basically begs Naofumi uh, to protect her and also Naofumi basically finally relenting that she's different, even though she's a royal. So that so it's basically both of those characters are having a turn in their attitude at the same exact moment, which is what brings them closer. And uh, that's uh, that's a, that's a big moment. I, I feel I feel you on that. That was an emotional moment. It was it was really yeah. well done, and even in the dub, it it definitely had that weight to it. Like I'm always worried about dubs because sometimes, depending on how they're you know produced and directed, they can come across as very flat and kind of you know they they lose that that moment of emotion that makes somebody really connect to uh, that scene. And this one was this whole series was done pretty damn well, but uh, that moment especially. And uh, this is also the this is also is this this is the episode where uh, freaking Motoyasu Motoyasu throws the the like the freaking like anklet on Philo to try to capture Ooh. her, which ah. is, is just a new level of creep. He's horrible. He he really is. He needs to die. <laughs> I I hate Motoyasu so much. Yeah, he he consistently is one of the worst characters throughout the series, which is which actually sort of encourages me to check out the spinoff reprise of the Spear Hero because I want to see if he gets better or if he's just as horrible in that series. No, too. <laughs> no, he's not getting better. No way. Yeah, but they they managed to escape. And a, a detail about this episode that's important is they kind of jump over this. Uh, uh, they basically break off this path so they're separated by a space so they can't be chased. And uh, now Fumi has a pendant of the Three Heroes Church, and he throws it at Rin and tells him, hey, I know you're the one with the most common sense. Figure this out. And they basically run off. And, you know, because Rin and Itsuki are at least, like, slightly capable of being, like, uh, 
there's something wonky going on here. They still fall prey to stupid things like the brainwashing shield for some reason, but they yeah. start to kind of, you know, try to sort of get along with Naofumi. Uh, and this is the moment that, you know, they're thrown this, this emblem and, they, and he's telling them to research it and find out what's going on. And I thought that was a really important moment too. Yeah, it, it was, it was a glimmer of hope from Naofumi to, to, Hey, figure this out for the for the love of the shield place and so with that they do escape they do a pretty cool little escape sequence and jump with philo that was one of her better redemption at trying mm-hmm. to be cool so she does that and gets them into the forest and out of the forest fire once mine starts that and they uh we, we start getting a lot of more backstory about raftalia as they uh they they find shelter at a local not local a nearby town and a man called I, idol idol i don't remember how to say his name but it's yeah we're idol. yeah we've gotten into episode 14 at this point we're, yeah, we're getting we're a lot of a lot of backstory uh for Raph in this episode and they uh what it is is they they start off the episode kind of like in hiding and it shows now Fumi going into a town, which I, I just had to interrupt because this is another little moment in the series that I just absolutely laughed out loud at. And you see a wanted poster for now Fumi and he has the most ridiculous looking evil eyes. And it's, it's so funny because he's just walking past and looks at it and just keeps on going. But like as a viewer, it's really funny to see how they portray him on a, on an illustrated wanted poster. Oh yeah. Uh, it it, it reminded me of tangled where they they do all the wanted poster stuff except for he wasn't as <laughs> ridiculous as Flynn was. I love but. that movie, but uh yeah, it's the same kind of kind of joke in that in that sense. Uh but they uh they end up going to a demi-human town as I recall to start with. Uh and like the they're talking about, you know, demi-humans having their own own town and a nobleman is the one that kind of keeps them together and that he's well loved for it Mm -hmm. and uh he stealths behind now fumi which is a a hilarious moment because he's like i don't even sense him coming it's just like this easygoing dude and he invites him to his house and all that and they kind of get a moment to rest for a second uh and then of course this is where we get to what you were talking about is that his his name is edol i think it is i think you're right yeah like I, I know it's it's that name pronunciation is more based on uh, how Japanese would say it. Like if you if you took a Western accent and saw that, you'd be like idol or idol. But it, it, because eyes are kind of like said ease in Japan, they probably just tried to keep it as as similar as possible from the the Japanese dumb mm-hmm. dub, not dumb. <laughs> I don't know oh. what happened there, but uh, yeah, and of course you know now Fumi is suspicious of the noble and. But, you know, they're kind of resting and then Edel shows up and basically, you know, arrests the noblemen of the demi-humans. And this is where we see Melty kind of like come out and save everybody. Like she gives herself up to Edel to protect Naofumi and Raph and Philo. I believe she tells Philo to to go uh, play hide and seek, but don't come out. Yeah. And so she ends up being out of the way and raf and and now fumi are kind of snuck out by the nobleman's maids which maids in this world are apparently very multi-talented people like they're not just cooks and cleaners they they're like they know secret passages or they're ninjas or some shit like that uh so that's a that's a really funny thing for me i uh, uh but uh, yeah go ahead i think we're i think we're treading into episode 15 as we 
as we get ready because we we've got that idol Edol is a is a man who's a, a slave runner for demi humans and they uh, melty is a melty's gotten into his uh into his grasp and now they're, they're gonna have to go save her but i i think i think my notes for episode 15 are kind of jaded and i mm-hmm. i i have that it's a filler <laughs> episode for i guess raf's backstory and i don't think i cared too much but i i have that we see a bit more of raf's backstory in her village and her friends during the wave that killed her parents and that brought her into eventual slavery entrapment but uh just kind of a backstory episode and also there's so much lolly and furry stuff going on here and uh, <laughs> I, I do not have enough fan service for opi boys raf founds out childhood friends are dead and idol summons the spinosaurus from jurassic park 3 weird crossover to kill uh, shield hero so. <laughs> yeah so you've dipped into uh to episode 15 for sure so this is a weird set of episodes because the placement of the transition between episodes is a little jilted to me because you it, it goes really quickly it's yeah. like they get it, to the damien human town they're 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 kind of uh you know shacked up there for a bit they eat all shows up and it goes straight into the eat all you know kind of figuring things out uh you know he he shows that in episode 14 is showing that he's, you know, the scumbag is racist against demi humans and he's totally willing to torture people to get what he wants. He's a member of the church. Uh, Raph is clearly knows who he is because her tail goes freaking wild and she's ready to like kill him at any moment. Uh, and this is also where, you know, basically now Fumi and them come out to rescue Melty because that's what they do. And he holds her hostage uh, like Edel holds Melty hostage, and of course now Fumi just throws a, a shield out there and like knocks him away, and is like whatever, I don't care. Uh, and and this is where Edel like begs for mercy. Oh uh, yeah, he, you know basically Raph attacks him and is like ready to kill him, and he's like begging for mercy. And uh, oh please, I promise yeah. I didn't mean I won't do it again. The usual yeah. before you die. Yeah, so it's basically you get the you get to see where they're at, how it all progresses, and there's just a lot of like making Edo look horrible, and he you know holds the princess hostage, and they rescue her, and they're about to kill him, and that's where it kind of you know stops. Like it's in the middle of them confronting Edo, like they give the basic stuff, like they'll they talk, uh, they'll verbally spar, like the two nobles can kind of verbally spar, mm-hmm. and then you know the the whole thing just goes down really quickly and they're fighting and then it stops the episode. And then you pick right back up into episode 15, which also kind of does another weird thing. It's like, so you're in the middle of this stuff happening and it's showing flashbacks of Raph's history in episode 15 before it goes back into what's currently happening. Uh, Not, I mean, it's, it's not so bad that it's not followable, but it's a it's a weird kind of like pacing choice, in my opinion. Which is why I think I, I had no care for episode 15, mm-hmm. or at least for the first half of it, because I, I was not invested in her backstory at the moment. I, I wanted to get back to the present, you know, see the fight. Let's get back to it. You know, we, we got a mm-hmm. kingdom to save or something. You know, yeah, I, I get that her parents died in the wave and, you know, her friends are probably dead. That's rough. But let's get back to it. And it was it was weird, <laughs> weird editing and jumping. 
I yeah, that's the thing is it, it kind of had the inception thing going on where there's three layers of shit happening here. Yeah. You know, uh we have the current time actions that are happening, we see flashbacks of Raf's past and we also have a big battle and emotional moments all built into like two episodes. So, you know, 15 picks up with a flashback of Raftalia as a kid with her friends, Rafana and uh god, what is the other kid's name? Uh, Keel, Keel both... is his name. Oh, you're right. And, you're right. And you know they're talking about like, you know, does Raftalia as a kid have uh, as someone she loves? And you know, Rafana says she wants to marry the Shield hero, and it's this you know cute little moment. And then it's back to Edol is you know begging for mercy and and kind of you know in this kind of almost Mexican standoff situation with them. And not a Mexican standoff because he's kind of stuck. That's not fair. Mexican standoff assumes everybody has at least fair standing ground. Yeah, yeah. No, but he's kind of in the losing position on this one. Uh, But he realizes that Raftalia is one of his former slaves, demi-human slaves, and of course he's got to comment on this. And she's about to kill the dude. And of all people, and I mean all people, this is a moment I kind of had to raise my eyebrow at. Now Fumi like puts his hand on her shoulder and is like, he's not worth it. This boy has a special hate-fueled shield and wants to basically have everybody pay for the wrongs they've done to him throughout the entire series. Like he's an asshole because they were shitty to him. Yeah. And he's the one being like, no, Raftalia, don't get revenge. I mean, that's what I'm doing all the time, but you shouldn't get revenge. Yeah, don't don't please don't misconstrue my intentions, but please. <laughs> don't do this (laughs) and uh and of course you know she 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 drops the you know sword she's like it's it's you know you'll pay for your crimes it's better for you to live and suffer for what you've done and and of course he tries to attack her because that's what all scumbags like this do and she of course she hits him with and this is a convenient thing is the mana sword and this is something i forgot to mention is the weapon shop owner gave her a sword hilt yeah it doesn't have a blade and it's like it's it's like this invisible blade that's powered by mana that doesn't really kill people necessarily apparently hurts them pretty bad uh it might uh what is it you know incapacitate them but so she ends up you know stabbing him with the mana sword and he falls out the window anyways and so she kind of killed him yeah, it was close. Debatable. It was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's and he, she, he, she did not kill him. That is not what killed him. <laughs> the what ground did, killed him. What, no, no. What did it <laughs> was the Finosaurus because he summoned that and it stepped on him. I remember. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. I remember. I'm that. going through the episode and I'm getting there. Uh, that is, and that is a great moment, which uh, we will get to. So th- this is where you now this is where you continue to have that weird interjection of themes throughout the episode. So we're in a very high intensity kind of like battle situation. You know, this guy just got through, knocked out the window. They've rescued the, uh, uh, they've rescued Melty. They've got the nobleman and they're going through this Edel's, you know, kind of like, I guess property. And they find the uh, underground, you know, jails where he used to keep the demi human slaves and tortured them. Uh, and, and while you're kind of, they're running around and you get flashbacks of, you know, Raftali's parents died in the first wave. We already knew that, but it shows her like at their grave and that she's going to smile and, and help rebuild the town. And then freaking evil riding knights uh, from Edel's, you know, area during the first wave, come and take all the demi humans and, and shackle them up and take them back. And, 
you know, they, they have this whole thing going on about flags. And this is something that you, you see throughout the whole series. You saw it whenever she got her first like real meal, it had a little uh, square flag on it. And during the flashbacks, they talk about that this demi-human uh, establishment had a special flag. And they, they all want to rebuild the town so they can raise the flag again. Uh, and this is also a weird moment where you realize that the first wave didn't happen that long ago. Like these people have had a lot of loss within a, a few months time tops. Yeah. Yeah. Like she just lost her parents not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. And especially later on when you, when you talk to the queen and you realize that whenever the, the king summoned the heroes, everything has happened relatively quick. This isn't something everyone's mm-hmm. lived and adjusted with. It, it's all kind of happening pretty concurrent. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they go down into this, this jail and this, this moment in the series is very emotional for multiple reasons. For me, one of the big things to take away from this scene is this is where Melty finds out how poorly Demi humans are treated in her country. And she has to face the fact that she is completely ignored and did not know this was happening, even though she's royalty. And that was a powerful moment, I think, because now you're seeing more of that transformation of the character into some someone who's going to pay attention, who cares more about her kingdom and wants to know more. Uh, and it's also really hard because she, she meets her friend Keel, who's still like in kid form. Cause as they said earlier in the series, you know, Demi humans, once they level up, they basically become instant adults. Um, so Keel's barely alive. They rescue him and she goes to find her friend Rifana and all she finds is a freaking skeleton, which is just such a heartbreaking moment. Yeah. It's sad. Uh, I was, I was like, and all you do is all you can hear is her screams of anguish and it's, it was rough. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I teared up. I was like, that's, that's intense. Uh, but then they basically kind of sort of recover. And this is also where I admire the detail, but they literally pack up her bones to take with it, with them. Like, it's kind of this, like off to the side of the the focus of the the frame, but like they literally pack it up in a piece of cloth and like carry it with them. Yeah. It's very, it was very solemn. It was sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, Raftali is basically about to give up everything. And of course the shield hero reassures her and her friend Keel helps out. And we end the episode finding out Idol is still alive and bloodied and uses that blood to release this legendary monster that previous heroes had, you know, uh, sealed under this idol which is a hilarious kind of uh parallel and he he summons basically like you said the spinosaurus rex from jurassic park 3 and he's like go fight for me and the t-rex just steps on him and it's so fucking funny yeah it was great i I felt pretty fulfilled i was like like, really And that's where we get into episode 16. Yes, sir. No, please tell me about episode 16 cuz this this episode goes wild. It it did. I I, I wasn't ready for episode <laughs> 16 when the spinosaurus started wiling out on everybody and he attacked and the gang started trying to, you know, outrun it and get away from it, but and they thought that the focus was on now Fumi the whole time, but they realized it was after Philo due to the aversion of dragons and Philolials, but they uh, they just try to lure it out the city, and eventually they get it to this big lake. And while they start trying to attack it again and trying to get it to at least draw blood or find a weakness, all these other Philolials start coming out of nowhere, just rainbow chickens, just 
everywhere. <laughs> and out of the woods, this big mother of all Philolios comes. The Philolio queen arrives. And they have this big outmatched battle between the Philolio queen and this Spinosaurus. And it, it's pretty cool because she, she can talk, but he can't. And she's like, I really don't want to hurt you. Are you sure you want to do this? And he's like, he's like, okay, well, I, I, I guess you want to do this. And so she, she moves a couple times and he's done. He's dead. And oh yeah. She samurai cuts him. Yeah. It was cool. It was kind of cool seeing a, a big kaiju battle between a chicken and a dinosaur. And it, <laughs> they eventually start talking. She talks to the shield crew and she can turn down to her human form and they start, they start talking and they, uh, at the end of this episode, while while I guess everyone's getting comfortable with Fitora, Fitoria, the Philolio queen, uh, we actually see the bow and the sword hero as they're investigating the Three Shields Church. They uh, they start looking into some of the books and they find this book on a weapon that should be able to turn into any of the legendary weapons. And that's just kind of what we see them doing. So they're actually following up on the shield heroes lead while these mm-hmm. guys are running into this legendary beast. Um, and it was really neat seeing the flow little queen. What'd you think about Victoria? Okay. So this episode, I apparently had a lot to say about this episode and I did not realize it. Um, there is a funny line at the beginning of the episode, whenever everything's going horribly wrong and somebody says something about, like, he would summon this horrible monster just to kill you. And he goes, what else is new? <laughs> I just, I just, like, he's just so used to people trying to, like, kill him and just do horrible things to him. He's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, um, again. And it, yeah, oh, here we are again, again, again. And this it, it quickly becomes a Godzilla movie because he's in the middle of this, like, you know, town. And there's all these people around. It's like, run for your lives going on. I also have to acknowledge the CG for the Spinosaurus Rex. I I don't really know what to call it besides like that. Uh, And even the Philodial Queen is actually really well done. It doesn't look too cheesy. It fits in with the style of the the regular animation. And I, I was impressed with it. I walked away from this episode feeling impressed with their CG abilities. The CG overall in the show isn't as egregious as other ones are. So it, oh yeah, it, it is, it is doable and not, not, ugh. so I can, I can deal with it because I'm normally pretty turned off when I see CG and anime and it's, it, it normally turns me off, but it's nothing as, as bad as like something like some code Lyoko stuff, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different CG. Look, uh, CG extends all the way back to reboot for me, so mm, I, I don't even have that as a frame of reference. So you, oh you got good me god! So here we are again with me making ancient references. Classic, all right. Some sacred yeah. text I've never heard of. Uh, I think I have it on DVD somewhere. I'll make you watch it. VHS. Hell, it might be on a streaming platform. No, it's not VHS <laughs> though. There were VHSs released of it, I believe. So uh, they could exist. Anyways. Uh, the action scenes here are still really impressive. They're moving throughout the town and jumping and fighting and, and everything throughout the whole thing. It's very uh, energetic and, and exciting. So I did enjoy that. And this also brought us to, we get to the lake and everything, like you said, you know, all the rainbow chickens show up. But there's a there's a fun thing that happens here that I think is kind of crazy is to, to show how powerful Fittori is. He tries to use the curse shield and she fucking jams it. And oh, like straight yeah, up, yeah, yeah. 
It straight up telepathically tells him, no, don't use that. And she jammed his, his shield. Like, he's a freaking one of the four heroes. And she just was like, no, nope, you're not going to use that shield. I'm in charge. Uh, I also can't help, you know, the kaiju battle is great. But there's a moment that I was like, really? This, this freaking dragon or Spinosaurus Rex could breathe fire the entire time, but didn't bust it out until the full oleo queen. Yeah, he wh- and, whatever the point of that was to to wait until then to actually have it flex its all of its powers and what a, it was just odd. Just, yeah, uh, it it definitely was odd. Uh, but you know, it was like okay, it makes for a cool action scene and things like that. Uh, and of course, she samurai cuts him to death, and uh, they uh, all hang out and talk. And you find out she's the official Filolio queen. So this is a, an important designation because earlier in the series they say that. Philo is a Philolio queen. Yeah, and this is where they establish more of the lore of the Philolios. And she's revealed to be the official queen. And Philo is a queen candidate. Uh, which means there's other Philolio queen candidates out in the world. Get excited for that, Trey. No, I refuse. <laughs> I'm upset about it. That Because if they run into another Philolio queen or anything else resembling Philo in seasons two and or three, I... I'm going to be pissed. I, I, I may quit. <laughs> also, there's a fun... So she has like instant teleportation abilities and it, it's connected to a carriage. And I love that. That is a fun detail about the Philolials that I really enjoy. Is they love carriages and they love pulling carriages. And of course, she has a very regal looking like special carriage at being the queen. Yeah. Um, it, she, she does and, look really cool overall. Her her character design is really neat. And Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's it's a shame she talks like a self checkout at kiosk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just it's all that that dead voice. Like, please bag your items. Like I don't know, she's just got a very flat voice. She doesn't very get very monotone. emotional. Yeah, I know she's supposed to be kind of like a Kuderi kind of thing. You know that like Ray Ayanami and uh, you know no emotion in their voice kind of thing. I I had other examples and they just flew out of my brain. No, Ray's uh, a good way to describe that. Yeah, uh, but this also leads into... So it's supposed to be this serious thing. She wants to have a talk with the the S.H.I.E.L.D. hero. But they end up having these weird, like, fun moments. And this is the stuff I, I love kind of being interjected. He makes food, and then all the other Philolials are, like, looking at him like puppy dogs. So he he ends up making a bunch of food the, for the Philolials. And I had this moment, and it, I know it's a little nitpicky, but I thought it was hilarious is they have this big group of Philolios. They're hanging out in ruins. But for some reason, because remember, they don't, I don't think they have their carriage at the moment. They just went with them. They, for some reason, have huge pots. So now that Fumi's, is kind of odd. <laughs> yeah. Like you didn't think about it, did you? But I noticed no. I was, I was like, I was like, I love the fact that these like wild in the ruins living Philolios that live with the Philolio queen have giant pots so he can make food for all the Philolios. Oh, this is weird. Uh, I found this instant pot for my rice. Could, <laughs> did you want to use this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so, and we get into the meat here where she wants to talk to the shield hero and it, she starts talking to him about how the shield hero has to try to get along with the other heroes. If even one hero is missing, the, the waves can't be beaten. Uh, things of that nature. And, you know, he's like, no, fuck that. And I love, I, cause this was a great moment. When I was watching it for the first time. Cause it was not what I was expecting is she's like, 
you you sure you don't want to get along with them? And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to get along with them. They're dicks. And she's like, well, then I guess I'll have to kill you all. And yeah. that's literally what, yeah, she's, <laughs> she ends the episode with that. She's like, then I guess you'll all have to die. And it's like, end of episode. Okay. I mean, I know we got, we had the scene where like Ren and Iski are investigating the church and they find the secret room and all that. But like, it just ends right there where she's like, I'm going to kill all of you. And so you kind of go into the next episode being like, wait, what? Uh, and you hit episode 17 and this is another case where I just feel a little bit like what they decided to put in front of the details kind of took you out of the intense moment. Cause now at the beginning of this episode, he's feeding the whole group of philolials again. Yeah. Uh, he's become the chef of the group and it's, yeah, I don't know. It, it was kind of weird. I, I was I'm just me and philolials period. I just don't like them, but it, uh, I didn't like the whole, or I guess, philo development thing, I guess. Mm. But it, it makes sense now that you, I guess I missed that she was a candidate for the philolial queen. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought she was just going to be the queen at some point. But whenever, uh, whenever she said, you know, philo is going to have to fight me because that that's what's going to, ha- or that's what did happen. So so Victoria said, you know, she's going to fight me or I'm going to have to kill you guys. And they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, let's not let's not get to that. Let's not let's not jump off the handle. So eventually they get to a point where it's like, well, you know what? If if we can at least train with Victoria, then maybe we actually. Stephen, you may have to edit that out. Why is that? I'm reading my points right here, and I don't know how they got to the point where Philo was training. This so, doesn't make sense to me. I don't. Why did okay. why on earth is Philo fighting her? Why did Melty get taken hostage? Yes. Okay. So here's the thing: is this is why the the pacing is weird? Is you have this moment where she's like, "I'm going to kill all of you," and then they wake up and they have breakfast. Like like she didn't just go right into it. She decided, "Okay, well, let's go back and and go to sleep. Wake up tomorrow morning. We're gonna have some breakfast. You're gonna feed everybody again, and then I'm gonna take Melty hostage and force you to get along with the other heroes." And in the process, you know, she challenges Philo to a battle for the safety of Melty. So she tells her, "If you can defeat me, or if you can hurt me, I think it is, then I'll release your friend, and I won't." I won't kill all the heroes. Yeah. But if you fail, then I will kill you and the heroes. And this is where they start battling. And of course, Victoria is just like wiping the floor with Philo because she just attacks blindly. And you also get to see a scene where uh, now Fumi tries to sneak over and rescue Melty and gets almost like completely knocked out of the game for good. Cause she actually hits him so hard. He bleeds like he spits up blood. Yeah. He, so she, so you, she messed she's not up. fucking around. No. And uh, that's when, you know, she continues to kind of harass Philo during the battle and, you know, tell her she needs to be better. She needs to be smarter, things like that. And that's it's basically sort of a training moment. And so she ends up fighting even through like getting her ass whooped. And she finally manages to strike the Philolio queen uh, and gives her like a cut across the cheek, you know, like they usually do in animes. And she develops a new ability like she can kind of, I guess, make like magical claws or something like that. It uh, doesn't really go into the details of that, but she manages to strike Victoria and she's like, okay, you win. And, uh, you know, and makes her, makes her an official like philolial queen candidate and gives her 
which I think is hilarious. So it makes her grow an ahoge. Do you know what an ahoge is? Is it that cowlick? That's what it is? Yeah. 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 That's uh and so and I think this is a really funny moment is because she kind of lets she lets uh Melty and and now Fumi go and she kind of dubs her like the next filial queen, uh, at least until we encounter another one. But she she gives her the power of a filial queen, making her stronger, but she grows an ahoge. Uh, this little cowlick and she hates it and it's hilarious moment because she pulls it out of her own head and then it just grows right back yeah she <laughs> she's not gonna be able to get rid of it or or to pat it down flat it it is permanent cowlick yeah and it's it's pretty funny uh i find philo's character to just be kind of very one-dimensional so uh, i don't hate her as a character i'm hoping she grows because it seems i like the lore of the philolials i like the idea of the philolial queens the uh, queen candidates and the Ahoge and the fact that she used to be the filolio queen of a previous hero, which is talked about here a little more in this episode. And uh, as a matter of fact, they even have a sweet moment where she lays on Naofumi's lap and it reminds her of laying on the lap of her old master. Like she's been around so long that she doesn't remember who he is, what, what kind of hero he was just that she promised to make sure that the heroes work together and save the world. But, uh, you know, you kind of end up having a really weird moment on the second half of this episode where it's basically like a bachelorette party. Like she's become a filolio, like an official filolio queen. She's got the ahoge and all the filolios are like throwing a filolio party for her. Uh, and, you know, Victoria gives Naofumi uh, some one of her feathers or something and it unlocks all of the filolio series shields. That even he the can't ones even he can't use, use yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's uh so that we know we'll see that a little bit later, and oh. you know that's his that's his reward, and she got and you know, Philo got the cowlick, and then we have a really great moment where the uh, Victoria asks Melty if there's anything she wants as repayment for being held hostage, and she like I think they even she even says I could give you all this like these different things, and they're like really imp- impressive stuff, and she's like. I only want one thing. And it just shows her writing on the giant form of the filolial. She's just like, yes, I'm yeah. riding a giant bird. Her, her obsession <laughs> with the filolials is just odd. Just so weird. <laughs> yeah. It seems to be a, uh, a thing. A familial uh, thing. Well. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see it later on in the sea in the season too. Uh, but this is also finally ends up, you know, that he agrees to kind of like try to get along with the other heroes in the long run. So even though he fought it for like an episode and a half, he's like, fine, I'll try to talk to them. And in all fairness, Victoria does point out the fact that he never really tried to have a conversation with them. Yeah. Like, he usually just let them say whatever they wanted and walked away or like yelled profanities at them or whatever it was. He never really like talked to them. So, you know, he kind of like swallows his pride a bit and he's like, all right, I'll try to get along with him. And then we cut to Itsuki and Ren finding a secret cave and a treasure chest of uh, that's empty. And then all of a sudden, a satellite strike hits the cave where they're at for a some damn reason. satellite. That is exactly what it looked like with some kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's just a pew! Just like, everything blows up. I was like, what? What the hell is happening? This This world doesn't have the technology for that, but they might as well... And uh, you basically just assume they got blown to smithereenies. So so I thought it was like a game thing. I thought like the game just nuked them for finding something. And I was like, oh my <laughs> God, <laughs> are they out the game? But I was, uh, 
I was pretty like done with the episode because there were just too many chickens. And yeah, you, actually, you seem to have a limit. Yeah. Oh God, I do. There's oh God, there's only so much. Where's the plot? Where I need I need something big. I need something heavy. But there was a point where uh, it was funny because my mother in law came in and she saw uh, Victoria and Philo fighting, and they were in their human forms, and she was like, "Oh, are they angels?" And I was like, "Oh." No, because mm. <laughs> it's like if you know, only <laughs> if only it was this cool. They're chickens, <laughs> but they're people. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> and it's like, how do you how do you explain this? I'm balls deep in this anime. I don't know how to do this, but it's oh, it's man. funny. But yeah, this uh, does. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, you go ahead. Like, let's let you transition into an episode for once. I, I'm wordy as fuck, so no, it's good. You're, uh, you're covering a lot of ground. You, you've got a, you've laid out a lot of path for us. So I, I will take the Pope arc is where we are we're heading up on now. So the Shield Hero, uh, you know, like you've said, has decided that you know maybe I didn't actually give give a try. So I, I'll go see if I can go gather up the heroes and give this a whirl. And he, the first one he actually runs into is unfortunately the spear hero. And what I have here in my notes is the asshat won't hear what the shield hero has to say, and that's unfortunate. And so they actually, he actually starts accusing him of ambushing and killing the sword and bow hero because the, the shield hero doesn't know that they're both dead or have been attacked by the satellite. And it turns out that mine has been whispering, you know, all this stuff in his ear that you know mm-hmm. shield heroes killed him. And, you know, it's, it's all him and his brainwashing and all this conspiracy stuff. And they start attacking and fighting and the Shield Heroes crew whoops his ass and no one really stands a chance against him. But mid-fight, uh, Philo actually hears something off in the distance and she warns now Fumi, hey, we need shields now. And so sure enough, he puts up like three rounds of shields and they get attacked by the same satellite. And they now have a third party attacking, and it is the Pope and the Church of the Three Heroes. Somehow this group of 300 people have come up on the heroes, and no one knew about it. But they uh, they are now attacking all the heroes. And when mine and the spear hero ask, you know, what about us? They, they're willing to forsake them and say that they're now traitors to the church. So I, I actually really enjoyed this twist. Because I, I normally enjoy religious villains, but I, I was like, oh man, willing to forsake mine? That's great. Willing to kill the spear hero? That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> but it was just a really cool twist. And clearly this Pope has a lot of power because he's the one that attacked. It's, or it, it's the same attack that attacked the spear or the sword and the bow hero. And so he, he's got a lot of stuff he's packing. And for him to just you know, attack again and again like this. And he's, he's got a lot going on. What'd you, what'd you think about this introduction? So this episode has, uh, you know, a lot to kind of unpack to a degree. Um, I actually had some fun in my notes on this one too. Uh, but I start, I started out laughing at this, uh, this episode because uh, Victoria gives Philo a wagon again. And she's just so excited. She's like, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And like dad mode. Now Fumi comes out and she's like, and he's like, she gave it to all of us, Philo. It's all of our wagon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a s- silly thing. And he's like super reluctant to be heading off to find the heroes. And she teleports them off. And he's like, is a hero nearby? And she's like, yes. I don't know which one. All but pretty much confirming it's the worst one. Uh, 
And he's like, all right, well, off I go then. And <laughs> yes. I, I literally have, you know, because it shows them kind of walking up to the town. And, of course, Motoyasu is the one that he runs into. And I have it in my notes. It says, oh, look, it's Motoyasu. And, you know, he's still sitting there listening, uh, you know, still, you know, being a tool and fighting Naofumi again, even though he's lost, like, every time, aside from cheating. Yeah, the one and time it, in the Coliseum, yeah. Yeah, and, and Naofumi, uh, bless his heart, because he actually has changed to a degree. Because even while fighting him in some impressive action sequence, I might add, he continues to try to talk to him, even in the face of that. But this is also a very weird moment for the dub in this episode. Because I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I did. So this is a weird moment because the dub is overall just really, really well done. I mean, it's it really doesn't stray too much from the, the material or anything. It doesn't get too wacky. And this isn't ghost stories, that's for sure. But whenever Motoyasu attacks, he just says, murderer, you killed them without identifying that he's talking about Rin and Itsuki. But for some reason... Now Fumi kind of figures uh, either figures out or knows, and it it doesn't really make sense with the words that are being used. And part of that is because a lot of times I don't know if you've ever noticed when you do subtitled anime, when they're referring to like a group of people, they'll still use their names in some situ- situations. And in the Japanese dub, that's what they that's what they do. They say Rin and Itsuki uh-huh. when referring to them as a group. So he knows, you know, that they're talking about Rinansky, but when it's done in the dub, he just calls him a murderer and says, you killed them without ever identifying to Naofumi that Rinansky are dead. And it, it kind of recovers from there, but I just I just thought it was a little bit of an odd uh, moment. And I just noticed it. Did you see that? No, I don't think I caught that. I'm trying to remember the conversation, if he said anything before. I, I remember him... I remember the inner dialogue of him trying to realize or think about it, but I don't remember that, that slip, but good catch. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I, I, well, cause the thing is I originally watched it in Japanese with subtitles. And then this one, I tried to pay attention to a lot of things. Um, I also admire the fact that he, you know, brings up the fact, like, did you see their bodies? Like, is their body like, are you, do you know they're dead? And then I have it in the notes, like right after this scene, I'm like, Oh look, it's Malty. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and and he and she continues to just spew shit from her mouth and the and motoyasu just eats it up and she does that really pretentious uh casting and everybody kind of like kind of grimaces at her and makes a comment about it mm-hmm. like where she calls herself uh, uh, uh like the next queen in her her, her chanting <laughs> Like yeah, she uh, every time like, she uh, talks, it's just oh. yeah, like she's so full of shit. There is a fun moment here too because you see Motoyasu's other party members kick in on this battle. Finally, like it's been one of my like more kind of minor annoyances of the series. They all got this party, and you never see any of the party members do anything. This yeah, the only one of the other three members parties yeah. yeah. Yeah, they usually are like in the waves that are displayed on the screen, but they're just kind of standing around with swords. They don't ever really like highlight that they do anything. But in this battle, uh, they, the wizards jump in with mine, and it's for the first time you actually see some of the other party members do something. So I thought that was a fun little detail. Um, and this is also where he uses his, uh, Motoyasu uses a combo skill. And 
Uh, now Fumi's like, wait, you can do that? So he does a combo skill. Uh, God, yeah. So it's it's kind of funny that now Fumi's slowly but surely just kind of learning from the other heroes as much as he, you know, hates them. Yeah. Uh, and then we get, we get uh, of course, this is the part of the episode where the chicken sense kind of kicks in and Philo warns everybody. Um, and, you know, this satellite strike comes down and he manages to protect everybody from it. And it leaves a fucking crater. Like, there's like magma lines in this. It was so powerful. And they're just sitting in the middle of this crater. And you get the slow clap from the Pope. The evil Pope comes in with a slow clap. Like, I'm surprised you're still alive. Yeah, he, he <laughs> was he was just arrogant old man enough about it to be cool and entertaining. That that swagger of power. He was he was cool. I liked it. Yeah. He's his he's got that calm, confident demeanor, and it, it does sell him as a villain. And uh and he he twists religion to fit his needs throughout the entirety of the little bit of introduction he has here. And as we continue on, like he, he's like, he planned to kill everybody in the first place. And of course, Malty's not happy about that, but he's like, Oh, but you know, it's a shame that uh, the princess was brainwashed by the shield hero and she had to die too. You know, and you know, he basically does this whole, like uses religion to fit his needs thing throughout the whole thing. And uh, basically admits that he killed Ren and Itsuki for snooping and shit like that. And he's got this, legendary weapon and melty's like oh no that sword is bad news and that's kind of where we end the episode and everyone's kind of like yeah stay in the obvious <laughs> yeah everyone just realizes that weapon is something rough but it's yeah it, i, I kind of wish we would have had more of him in this weapon and lore to begin with mm-hmm. like i like not to i guess dis uh discredit the waves but i think he's a little bit more interesting than the waves and everything that that have been going on with them but i understand that for world building and everything that's happening what what terrorizes this country this the waves are pertinent and they're Mm -hmm. they have an effect but i I like a run i like a running villain and i think this guy would have been something interesting so that's the thing about animated light novels is you get things like this happening. Uh, it's Especially since, okay, so uh, traditionally a lot of times light novels are done in one core, so they're only like 12 episodes. Um, a lot of times that's because the arcs all extend multiple volumes, and that's what you're seeing here, is like the the first part is like the first like three or four volumes of this light novel, and then, you know, this part where uh, the Devil of the Shield thing is happening is like three or four books. I, I mean, they're not like, you know, full size novels or anything like that, but they're like, they're like 200, 250 pages. And, and so what you're seeing is chunks of a storyline coming out. And it's like, and the thing is too, like if someone's read further into the series now, yeah, it's, it's important. It's important that this is happening when it is, but I can agree with you. It's kind of like, it would be better if this was a, like a constant throughout, the, like a running anti- antagonist. Uh, and, it, you know, it does get better. So that's good. And this uh, this is episode like what episode are we on now? Nineteen, nineteen. Yes, sir. Episode nineteen, where <laughs> we find out from Melty about the mythical weapon that the Pope has, which has the ability to turn into all four of the cardinal weapons: the sword, the shield, the spear, and the bow. And it's pretty badass that the Pope has it. And they find out some rumors and myths that the Church has supposedly lost this weapon, or 
maybe has had it the whole time and it's just been under lock and key. And it, it's kind of cool that the church, you know, may have had this dirty secret the whole time and they've just had this powerhouse with them the whole time. Who knows when they would have popped this out if it wasn't for the shield hero. I would have, I, I just like this dirty Pope this whole time. He, he's the evil Pope. The yes. evil Pope is evil poping. That's I, right. I love it. Evil Pope. <laughs> but uh, during all this, we end up seeing the bow and the sword hero show up and they reveal that they weren't killed by the satellite of destruction. They actually got out in time. The, I think it was the bow hero. Uh, revealed that, hey, you know, I, I saw something coming. I heard the satellite beep and he got out in time and he was fine. But they also, in the midst of realizing their friends are okay, find out that the queen is coming with reinforcements and the Pope is a little bit panicked. A little bit, I think. He's worried, but he he wants to try and hurry up and get these guys killed so that he can move on to taking over the rest of what he wants. And he's he's kind of running out of mana. So the Pope's magic is in his own magic. He, he, like I said earlier, he has like two, 300 people with him. Uh, they're all praying at him and their praying is giving him mana. And that's what's feeding him. He, uh, he pulled this big, I don't know if we brought it up already, but this cathedral, which has trapped the, uh, trapped the heroes inside. And this is just a big shield. Ah, yeah, I guess a shield that has everyone trapped inside and it, it makes sure no one's running away and he can, cause chaos within and he's launching arrows and just shit's happening within this huge cathedral it's pretty pretty sick i love it just this whole battle <laughs> scene with the pope uh period so eventually they uh they all have to get together and realize that hey we we need to figure out what's going on but not before the real the real spanking from the shield hero comes and he he gets this the other heroes and he lets them know hey you guys were fucking around this whole time and I was cleaning up your mess. And he he calls him out for everything. And, you know, you, you guys were doing this and there was this dead dragon. And you did this and there was this big tree, like, killing the land. And you did this and all these people were sitting here, like, fondling. Why, why was this happening? All because you guys were goofing. And it, he tears him apart, really. And the spear hero tries to blame it on the other guys. But they, they all know they're to blame. They have to take up some responsibility for what they've done. And eventually they kind of get some cohesion together and they start launching an attack and i'm trying to remember is this where we get oh no this isn't where this is an episode with the sick uh sick theme song fight scene that that's the next episode but uh steven what did you think of this episode well you you've clearly blended 19 and 20 together at this point because i remember being slightly a little perturbed at, at episode 19 because there's a lot of exposition that's happening in the middle of the crater while the Pope just watches and doesn't do shit. Yeah, he was oddly but, patient with the yeah, <laughs> You know, like they show off the fact that the sword morphs into the spear and and you know, the evil Pope is talking a lot. You know, he's doing his uh his villain's rant, you know, about them being sinners and and that they're true they're truly the worse than the waves. Like uh, so he'll just kill them and save the world the church will save the world themselves. I mean, because that was one of the I thought was kind of cool is the the Pope kind of uses those moments that Naofumi's kind of been harassing them about mm -hmm. as as a point to say you're you're sinners, you're horrible for us. You've you've done nothing to really truly take care of the country, and the Pope, the evil Pope, is not technically wrong. Yeah, so got a point. And uh, so, of course, you know they're sitting down there, kind of like you know slack jawed, surprised, like someone's calling them out again. Even the bad guys calling them out. 
<laughs> oh, oh man, <laughs> yeah, right. And so, and then of course, Melty is explaining the source of the weapon, how it works. Like they they made it, uh, they made it for personal gain, and it was supposedly lost, but the church found it and kept it secret. And uh, you know, and the fact that he has to, it requires like so much mana. That's why he has this big uh, retinue of uh, you know two hundred, three hundred nuns and priests out there praying and giving him mana to use this big bad weapon. Um. It's. I think it's a really cool little moment that explains why there's a bunch of the followers with the evil Pope, you know, while he's kind of trying to take out the heroes. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it kind of does a whole thing. It, it shows like some some real blind faith. And uh, I think that's that's kind of a cool situation, too. Uh, and of course, then, you know, the heroes start, you know, trying to defend themselves. Motoyasu does a whole like speech. And I love that Naofumi's party is just kind of like, ugh. Like making faces yeah. the whole time. Uh, he doesn't <laughs> shut up or something. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He gets he gets super. You know, just like I'm I'm a hero. I'm gonna make a speech kind of moment. And uh, you know, in the meantime, like you, you know, the Pope tries to attack a little bit, and they of course the shield's blocking the whole time. Like you would think they try something a little different besides just like shooting straight at the shield hero, who clearly has the ability to block the shots. Yeah. Um. And you know they're ba- you know some of the nuns start falling out and uh, it, what was it? Uh, Motoyasu is, screams out, "That's cheating!" when he's talking about using the the weapon against them and everything. Yeah, it, he, which is so silly. It's all backwards for this guy. He just he has no parameters of what he understands about anything, and he just whatever is right or wrong to him is purely based on what he wants to be true and it's just so weird i hate the spear hero so much <laughs> almost as much as philo but i feel like he has potential oh yeah no as somebody that's a little further in the series uh there's some stuff that comes around um but that's for season two and three so i won't talk about it uh and the, you know then ren and itsuki show up and they were saved by the queen's ninjas or whatever they are uh, you know, masquerade ninjas. Yeah. Uh, they have that weird way of speaking. I forget what the phrase. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I think, I don't know what they translate it to in the English dub, but it's like, De Gozaru is usually like the, like the ending of a sentence, like ninjas and like servants tend to use uh, from like an old world kind of word. And it, I think that's what they use in the it, Japanese. It was like, if you will or something, or if you would, it was, it was weird, but he caught on to, or Naofumi caught on to it every time someone said it. And he was like, oh, uh, he, he took note of it. But it, it was an odd phrase. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Rin and Iski there, they get down into the crater with them. And, you know, they inform him the queen and the reinforcements are coming. And, of course, the po- evil pope's like, oh, no, like slightly annoyed by this. But this is the result of like this moment is funny to me because I love that they get down in the crater and they're like, finally, we all work together. And now Fumi's like, nah, and then sits down and starts to tell them all why they piss him off and why they haven't succeeded in anything, why they think, why they don't have the power level that he does. And again, the evil Pope just sits there and lets them argue for like a good solid, like eight minutes. Yeah. Instead of just nuking them from orbit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and of course, like at the last second after he's done lecturing everybody, because that's what everybody wants from the series is basically these idiots to get their comeuppance. And every once in a while, they have to be lectured about how big of idiots they are. Uh, you know, of course, he remembers Vittorio, uh, you know, uh, he made a promise to Vittorio. And he's like, all right, 
let's do this. And then the, the Pope drops the giant cathedral barrier. And, and then you get, you go, you, that's when you move into episode 20. Yes. And uh, I like the opening to episode 20 because you get to see the queen and how much of, of what it means for the queen to be in charge in a matriarchal society. Cause she's being armored up. Yeah. There's, there's some fun fan service shots there. Nothing too uh, racy, but oh, yeah. You know, yeah. You, you, she's definitely got a rack on her. That's for sure. Um, but she's like really kind of very no nonsense and she's being armored up and like marching with her army. And I think that's cool. It's not like she's just riding around in a carriage down there. She's going to be the one leading the charge against whatever is happening in her country. And it kind of shows that she's a really strong leader and not afraid to get her hands dirty. So I'm already like by the beginning of this episode, I'm pumped and it's just kind of an opening scene. So that's pretty much all you, uh, all you really get i think the, the i did notice one fact of the matter is she's she prays for the safety of melty and the shield hero with no mention of the other daughter yeah no she leaves out mine like just completely no no matter what it's always melty with her and that that's great as long as mine is at the bottom of the barrel it's it's fine with me and it was cool that she, one of her, I guess it's higher shadow leaders, whatever her ninja people are, pleaded her to stay. She's like, no, I have to get out here and do this. And yeah, like you said, she's willing to get her hands dirty. I thought that was a really cool little line from her. But yeah, so she's she's heading out there. Her troops are on their way while the Pope's just enduring this talking in episode 20. And so they, uh, they all start attacking. But eventually someone asked because nothing's working against this pope everything's getting nullified the pope's pulling out all these really cool tricks and attacks and even throwing some of the spear heroes attacks back at him which is pretty neat and you know scary for them and someone even asked the shoot hero with with the unmitigated gall that if can't he do anything because his shield is so overpowered and you know what, <laughs> what can he do and I was like, wow, you know, the ball's on this guy. How how can you ask him that? But eventually he realizes that he can use the zombie dragon and the curse shield, and he does. He uh, he eventually starts doing it, but the girls start, you know, holding him back and telling him, you know, hey, we're friends. We're your friends. We'll support you. And, uh, you know, you don't have to do this and go down this path of darkness. And I think that was it. No, that's not true. He, he no. uses... A, a kind of cool move, I guess. Blood sacrifice, which is where he sacrifices like I don't, I don't, I don't remember how much of his health it was, or you know, he sacrifices blood. And this chain dragon goes up and attacks his enemy, and he just lost blood and defeated the Pope, and it put him out for three days. And but yeah. while all that fighting was going, the the theme song got added, and it was uh, in my notes. I put sick AF. And I, I really like, <laughs> I always like when the theme song gets added to a fight scene. I always think that that at least adds the ante up. Like, yeah, you get some, 20. some blood pumping on that bad boy. Yeah. I, I, I love that scene. Cause it's really fun. And the song is pretty, pretty cool. It shows him trying to fight with the Pope and it's great. Cause it's this epic, epic moment. And you think it's going to kind of end with them really beating them, but it's more of just kind of like a montage with the song playing Yeah, of all of them doing their different moves. You know, they try to do combo skills and, different things like that and the and more of the priests and nuns are falling out and the, the evil pope's like wouldn't you die for this cause and they're like sure pope and so <laughs> yeah, now man. people are 
you're giving up so much money, they're dying, sort of thing. And it's like they do the whole uh, music montage of fighting, not really getting anywhere. And then that's when they ask uh, Naofumi to, you know, use his overpower shield to beat everybody, um, which results in him getting his ang- his anger powered uh, his anger power ranger here on again. Mm-hmm. And he, but he starts kind of falling to it, and the girls rescue him. They hit. A, Fun fact, if you notice, every one of them, Melty, Philo, and Raph, all end up curse scars, so they'll have to be treated uh, again. Like, I like the fact that they kind of stuck to that. Like, it didn't, it wasn't a one-off moment for them to go back to the capital. When he, when his uh, compatriots save him from the curse, they get hit with it. Yeah, there's consistency. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and this is where, this is where, you know, the Pope starts taking a few on the chin and the queen shows up with all of her epic might and just like freezes him in place. And, uh, you know, just being a badass and tells the shield hero to finish it. And that's where he accesses some kind of legendary shield skill. And it's, I, this is actually kind of a fun, tense moment. I, I actually thought it was sort of funny because he like says the move and then his oh. body just explodes <laughs> in blood. And everyone's like, that was it? Did things go wrong? Is he dead? And then it shows like the blood kind of like seeping underground and like it turns into this weird kind of like uh, sort of Iron Maiden-ish thing, but it's like a, the head is like a bunch of jaws of spikes and it's a chain thing and it grabs the Pope and crushes him and sprays blood everywhere. And this is actually surprisingly gory. Like it actually shows the Pope being like for a second being impaled by the spikes from the jaw before all of his blood is sprayed everywhere. Yeah, it was cool. I, I also love the fact that at the end of the episode, the queen is introducing herself while now Fumi is basically bleeding out on the ground. <laughs> like, I, just, I, like, go back and watch it. There, She's talking with people and introducing herself and, you know, she's like, save the shield hero at any cost. Now let's have a conversation for a bit. And you'll notice no one's really doing anything to save now Fumi. He's still on the ground over there. Just kind of bleeding out. Losing and gallons. Yeah, like, and so that's the end of episode 20, and uh, uh, we, we start episode 21. What do you what do you got for 21 before I get into my, my running my mouth part of this episode? Because this is where we get into some oh. politics and things like that that I found really interesting. Yeah, this one's hefty. So Shield Hero slept for three days, I think it was, and he woke up to his crew around him, keeping an eye on him. And eventually he gets summoned by the queen so that she can kind of explain what all has been going on. Cause this is his first, I guess, real conversation with mm-hmm. the queen of Melremark. I don't remember her name. I don't have it written down, but she explains the dynamic of the shield hero with the country, the King's distaste for him and why all this happened and why the King wasn't even supposed to summon them to begin with. And mm-hmm. it, he, he did everything wrong. This is all the King's fault. This isn't even really the shield hero's fault that he's being, you know, treated so poorly. If he was summoned by the demi human kingdom, he would have been treated more favorably. And it, it's it's all wrong per the king. And so, as reparation, she actually offers to clear his name and reputation. And she she kind of you see a shot where she's talking to him, but all you can hear is like the wind or it's a, some kind of silence, and his eyes mm-hmm. get big. And so clearly, something's been offered or negotiated. And you don't know what it is, but it goes back to him talking to the girls. And she's like, so what did you in the, uh, or Raptalia says, you know, what, what did you and the queen talk about? He said, oh, it's a, uh, it's nothing. We're, we're going to the castle, I think, or something. And eventually you find out 
that it's a trial for the king of Melramark and mine. And it is a crazy, crazy trial. It's probably one of the best moments within the, uh, within yeah, the big comeuppance. Oh, go ahead. I said definitely a big comeuppance. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. It was uncomfortable. It was cringy. It was, ugh, it was great. But I, I think I'm going to let you go ahead and take it from there because I, I, I think you, you may be able to hit this a lot better than I can. Let, let's hear what you have to say. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Cause I got quite a few notes on this bad boy. Um, a fun fact is that this episode opens showing them, uh, it, it harkens back to the opening scene in the first episode where it's uh, Raph and Nafumi on some stones near the ocean. And this one harkens back to it. And now it's showing more because like Raph, Philo, and Nafumi are on this, this like kind of cliffside near the ocean. And then it shows this flag again with the flag motif going on throughout the series. You know, because you had the the food flag, you had uh, the fact that he put he made a Japan flag out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, then you had the fact about the flag meaning so much to the demi humans, and now you see that same demi human flag in this little quick flash uh, of information at the beginning of the episode. So we're seeing over and over and over this flag means a lot. Which we'll when we get to the end, uh, it, I'll definitely have a wrap up on that. But this is this is this is a very talky episode, and like you said, a very uncomfortable episode. Because it's it's supposedly trying to right all the wrongs, but uh, it plays out uniquely. So what happens is you get a little bit more of the politics of the series. Every nation, uh, one of the, there's four major nations in in the country, and they are each supposed to summon one of the heroes. Which is why you know whenever they're together, their exp goes down because originally they're supposed to be separate. Mm-hmm. And and earning their exp elsewhere, far away from each other, and then they come together for the waves and things like that. And they're supposed to be protecting each of those countries individually. And they bring up the fact that these four four heroes have only been in Melramark. These other countries, when waves are happening, are just getting decimated. You know, they're getting hit hard. They have to rely on whatever soldiers they have. So it basically brings up the fact that the reason the queen was gone for so long and this kind of shit was allowed to happen is because she was basically traveling around trying to appease all the other nations after, you know, finding out that while she was gone, the king summoned all four heroes to Melramark alone. So she was playing damage control this entire time. And, uh, you know, so that's, that, that at least kind of clears up why the queen didn't just handle this even earlier on. And, uh, I also find it interesting, you know, she brings up the fact that the the Church of the Three Heroes uh, has been completely dismantled and replaced with the uh, the Church of the Four Heroes. And now Fumi is sitting there kind of like listening and he's like, she used me to, to basically get rid of this church that was causing trouble in her country. Like, and he's kind of noticing she's very crafty. She's very, she's very smart about everything she does. But they do have... Uh, you know, the moment where she's kind of talking about um, something with the king and, and the and mine. And, you know, it's supposed to be a secret right away. And, but it, they do focus on that fact that she sounds all serious, but her, her hand is shaking. And because uh, clearly she doesn't really want to do this. I mean, yeah, they're horrible people. They've done committed all kinds of crimes, but she's still, you know, family. Um, I think at this point he offers uh, like he's offered 500 gold coins and clearing his name and she wants him to stay in the country. And now Fumi's like, nah, 
no, not after all this. And so, right, you know, he's so, like, a, yeah, he wants his freedom uh, more than anything. I mean, he basically had freedom because everyone hated him. And now, like, they want him to turn around and just be like, you know, part of this big, you know, concerted effort. And, uh, you know, he's he's not really cool with that. And it, of course, it, this is interesting because he has this dream of like uh, mine and and the king uh, in stocks and getting executed. And then he wakes up from it. Of course, he kind of goes around uh, around the uh, castle kind of killing time. And then that's what ends up happening is they uh, have this trial in the in the throne room with a bunch of nobles around and they put the slave crest on mine so when she's testifying she can't lie and you know so they start questioning her and she lies through her teeth the whole time and it literally shocks her with lightning to the point where she's screaming in pain and this is a really uncomfortable moment because everyone's like that's your daughter and that's your husband like what the fuck are you doing like it's so intense yeah. and she but she's uh. just like keeping that ice cold exterior and you know questioning her over and over and you can just hear her basically like screaming in pain and Motoyasu uh, I'll give him credit here he tries to say that he believes her no matter what so they actually changed the slave crest to be associated with Motoyasu so when he asks her a question she can't lie and she continues to lie and he is just he is shook by the fact that she has basically been screwing around and lying to everybody and manipulating it, everybody. And I think they actually hit every point, like from the accusation of sexual assault in the beginning, all the way mm-hmm. up to killing Mel or attempts to kill Melty. Like yeah. they, they hit everything and she lies through it all and is just shocked and screaming in pain. And it yeah, is it, horrible. It's hard to watch. Yeah. yeah. It, and I'll give the dub credit. They did a good job selling it on the English dub, too. And, uh, like, I haven't had screams make me that uncomfortable since Neon Genesis. Like, oh, those, yeah. those, those two screams make me uncomfortable. Yeah. And this is where this uh, the, more and more stuff is trickling in that's making you question, like, what the hell is happening? Because clearly the king has had an issue with the shield hero from the beginning. You don't know why. And he has a, he, like, he's being questioned and the queen kind of falters because he, he was, he says, I was just trying to protect my family and my country against this tragedy occurring again. And basically, like, this is a a revelation that something happened in the past. Something is, is supposed to happen in this situation. And he's been hurt by something in the past. And she kind of, you know, falters for a moment because it's her husband and he's clearly not lying. And he like he to him, he was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they but then she kind of like recovers real quick and uh, they uh, they take him to the stocks to get executed. And, you know, this is where it kind of reiterates, you know, the moment of whenever they're in the stocks from his dreams. And this is this is a weird scene because this plays out differently in the manga. Versus the uh, the anime. In this an- in the anime, uh, Mine finally calls Naofumi by his name and basically is begging for mercy. And so instead of uh, they're about to get killed, and you see the queen kind of doing something weird, um, but he basically jumps up and does this whole like showman thing, and it says like, "Oh, instead of death, they that's too quick. They should be renamed." to something else so they that everyone will know of their crimes and they have to live with it for the rest of their life so he basically changes their names to what is it uh 
bitch the, yeah. for mine and oh no, bitch for Malty. Uh, the the king is called Trash, yeah. and everybody and then her uh, my uh, Malty's adventure name mine gets changed to whore, mm-hmm. and you know the queen completely. Uh, completely goes with it, and so now she decrees that everybody has to call them that from that point on. This That's a pretty harsh punishment, I'll admit, but they're not dead, so that's also a good thing. Um, but it also shows that now Fumi didn't want to kill them in the end. Like, he was, he was good, and, you know, it ends up becoming revealed that, you know, they kind of do this whole exit out of the, the place where everybody starts acknowledging the shield hero, and, you know, he's taking off, and of course you find out from melty talking to his uh to the queen she was ready to kill herself in exchange for her husband and her daughter and it's kind of insinuated that now fumi kind of figured that out and made the choice and so it seems like he saved the queen now in the manga this is where things are different uh they actually have the scene in the trial where she's like what's their punishment and he kind of ponders over it and he says and you see all the flashback and everything and you see and he goes no, I can't forgive them. The, execute them. Like he he demands oh. they be killed. He Whoa. demands they be killed. And the queen comes up with the alternative. And the queen's like, "Well, th- don't you think that's a little too quick and easy? Maybe maybe there's another way. Something they can pay for good." And she presents the idea of changing their names. And he goes along with it cuz and it shows that the queen actually is still very crafty and in control of the situation in the manga. And I think, and I don't know if that's necessarily more in lo- aligned with the light novels. Like I said, I still need to read them, uh-huh. but it, it was because I had just recently started rereading the, no- uh, the manga just to kind of like see any kind of comparisons and things like that. I noticed that is, is like in this one. Now, Fumi seems like the compassionate hero in the anime, but in the manga, the queen manipulates him into doing what she wants to keep her family from dying. And it shows that she is truly a powerful leader who does not care how big of a deal the hero is or like how much it's right for him to be able to demand that. And it also shows that in the manga, like now for me, it's a little bit darker uh, at times. So I thought that was a fun little uh, kind of comparison. Yeah. Wow. That That's interesting to know he's darker. I like I kind of would like to see that more, but that's because I wanted him to be a villain in the beginning, too. <laughs> like after he was wronged, I wanted to see him go kill the heroes. I kind of thought that would be a really cool twist or maybe an alternate reality, I guess, for this series at this point. Because I, I like where this has gone, but I would like to see a darker or a twisted now for me at this point. But yeah, that's that that's cool, at least to know, manga wise. Yeah, but it's a it's a it's a nice resolution. It like it's definitely I'll be honest with you, it was an unexpected thing. Like for him to change their names and for the like the queen to basically say all of you have to refer to this person as that as that name, like trash and and bitch. And it's funny because as the series goes on, people correct themselves and call them that. <laughs> Like they stop themselves. They're like, oh, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Yeah, oh. bitch is working in the kitchen. You know, like shit like that. It's just really funny. And like, I think he calls the king trash at one point. Yeah, he runs just to kind of like rub it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good stuff. I mean, because we go straight from the resolution of that into episode 22. 
And it starts with them finally being able to get their class upgrades. Yes, but and, only to find out they're yeah. limited because of items mm-hmm. they got. So Shield Hero at the end of 21, they all his crew being Philo and Raph because Melty didn't go with them. They left and now in 20, sorry, in 21 they left, 22 they came back. Uh, they came back for their upgrades. But since they all have these special items because of the Shield Hero adventures, um, they can only get certain upgrades now. And mm-hmm. while they're here getting the, their upgrades, the queen actually wanted to have a meeting with all the heroes anyway. And she wanted to kind of get them together to kind of make a team, a heroes committee or whatever it was called, whatever high school kids do. Um, and so they start kind of talking, trying to collaborate and it ends up becoming a shit show. Really? They all kind of argue <laughs> yes. and like are rude to each other. And they all start having arguments about what weapons are better, how to get better weapons is rarity better. It, it's, it's kind of funny. It's like watching gamers argue. And it was, uh, it was funny in that aspect, but they all start trying to figure out secrets. And that's what it what, what that's what it started off being like, Hey, how do you, how did you get good? Well, how did mm-hmm. you get good? And they start sharing secrets with Naofumi. And one was this copy ability that made everyone really good with their weapons. And he finds ways of getting these abilities, like by believing them instead of being so closed. And he was like, well, you know, maybe if I'm just nice about it and I believe him. And sure enough, he, he got the ability. He's like, oh, I can tell them about it. And he, he was, that was his first like, hey, I'll do this. And he, he was excited to see them the next day. But sure enough, they all left. Yeah, because so, they're they're little bitches. Yeah, it's just more <laughs> distasteful stuff from the other heroes. But yeah. it was a, a positive from this shield hero. The first, hey, that's good for you, Mark. So his gold star there. But they also, in this meeting, find out about this archipelago that grants bonus experience and helps everyone level up for the next wave because she also breaks it to everyone that Naofumi is the only one that's really going to be able to survive. And that he can't just wipe everyone's else ass, wipe everyone's ass during the next wave. <laughs> uh, so they all have to kind of carry their own weight. And this archipelago is going to help everyone. And sure enough, they all pack up and leave to head out. And we finally get to meet the scythe hero that has been hinted at in this opening uh, that we switched over to episode 12 for episode 13. He's, Super sick looking. He's been looking sick in the opening, and we finally get to meet him. His name's Lark, and his companion Teresa. They have or Therese, Therese. Yes, Therese. Therese, uh, a really cool stone magic wielder, and he is a scythe guy. He's not really the scythe hero. I just said that, but he looks really cool. He is uh, one of my favorite <laughs> characters so far. Uh, what do you think about all this going on now that we kind of have oh, a new it's... arc starting? So I actually, I love this episode because it has a lot of funny moments in it. Uh, and that's really what it kind of came across to me. It's like a fun little filler episode before you get into the last few episodes arc. And uh, one of the things that made me laugh out loud was whenever, you know, the queen is talking about the items that can affect a class upgrade. That's when they start talking about Vittoria and the Filolio queen. And, and you know, the fact of Melty jumps in the conversation and you see the queen is clearly in love with Philolios too. Cause she's like, what you got to meet the queen. Oh yeah. <gasps> Tell me everything. Tell me everything. And she's so excited. And it's really, really funny. Cause she's so, she ends up uh, kind of getting kind of teary eyed because Melty uh, kind of like humble brags about riding on the Philolio queen. 
And she's kind of got like, you know, I'm jealous tears in her eyes. And I think that's hilarious. It was a great moment. It was a great humanizing moment for the queen. Like that she's not completely serious all the time. Their weird genetic obsession with philoleals. I I can't um, <laughs> I comprehend it. Uh, I also love this because there's the weird things that happen. Like they're like, all right, cool. Well, you're being weird. We're going to leave. And then they get called back immediately the same night for like a celebratory dinner and the meeting of the heroes. And this is what's really cool is that like one hero has some kind of ability that has to do with item rarity. One is about forging, uh, like creating weapons. Mm -hmm. And another one is about copying weapons. And, you know, so he's, you know, they kind of talk about this for a bit and then they, you know, get all grumpy and argue amongst themselves and kind of call it a day. But while that's happening, so uh, one of the knights and like one of the other groups, I think Itsuki's group, uh, you keep seeing this green haired girl in this episode and she'll, she'll become important in time. Uh, she keeps making some kind of weird sound and looking kind of like <laughs> anxious in the background. She, I think it's like Fue or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's silly. Um, but then I think I think I think uh, Reptalia ends up brawling with the knight, and then a whole brawl ba- breaks out at the at the dinner hall, and uh, like the green haired girl gets a pie in the face and and shit like that. And of course, uh, so there's a brawl happening at the supposed celebratory dinner. The heroes are having a meeting and pretty much pissing each other off, and then we get to see uh, bitch. Trying to poison pie and Melty's like right behind her, being like, What are you doing, dear sister? And of course she tries to lie and gets hit with the slave crest thing, because she still got it. Yeah. Um and that's that's a really funny moment too. So you just get a lot of these kind of like quick set pieces of humor. And I think that's a, a lot of fun. Uh but and it, so it all kind of falls apart and then it goes to the next day. And now Fumi goes to the weapon owner shop and he starts trying he's thinking about that whole like whatever whatever uh because the copy ability was like whatever version of like your weapon mm-hmm. in his case the shield you just have to like literally look at it and you'll copy it and then you can change your shield into whatever it is and so he starts to believe in this concept and so he goes to the weapon shop owner's store and starts copying all the shields and he's like what no what the hell are you doing you're gonna run me out of business he's like so upset and he's freaking out, and it's hilarious to me because it's just a, a it's just a lot of like back to back to back to back funny moments with the characters, and uh, I think uh, I think it kind of uh, like you said it kind of winds down. They go to visit the village, uh, Reptalia's old village, where some of the other demi humans have started to kind of resettle, and they visit Rifana's grave and her parents' graves, and they just kind of meet Lark and Therese, uh hanging out in the town, like they've been passing through or whatever the case is. Uh, and that's where you get their their quick introduction, because uh, because they're going off. I think it's they're going off to the boat for the archipelago, mm-hmm. and all the other heroes left him behind, even though he's still trying to get along with them. And so they stop at the town, yada yada yada. They meet Lark and Therese, and he calls him Kiddo. I think it is. Yeah, Kiddo. Hey, Kiddo. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and the uh, and then they just kind of like disappear. They're like, we're heading out, and they all and then they they end up at the boat, and it's funny because the other three heroes are sitting there waiting to get on uh, get into the boat too and and he's just like well they could have waited for me but whatever and uh and that's pretty much where episode 22 ends is they're they're at the boat ready to take off so episode 23 so they're getting in the boat and as they're going around trying to find their room they find out that they're actually rooming with the scythe hero and his partner therese 
who now Fumi is starting to not enjoy because he calls him kiddo all the time or in every other <laughs> sentence. He's like, oh, look, it's our friend, the kiddo. And they, they start uh, trying to get to know each other. And he introduces himself as the shield hero. And uh, <laughs> Lark, the, the scythe guy, is disgusted immediately. He's like, well, I don't want to be friends with the devil of the shield. And he, he just <laughs> does not want to be friends with the shield hero. But he's, he's cool being friends with Nafumi, the imposter of the shield, I guess, as he would have it. So they all start trying to find their bearings on the ship. And they find the other uh, three heroes getting seasick. And this is a treat. This is a treat scene. Yeah. They're like, how are you okay? And he's just fine. But they're all, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear what you have to say right now. Because he's trying to explain the copy ability. He's like, guys, if we believe in each other, he's like, oh, please, I don't want to hear this. And they're all getting, <laughs> they're getting sick. And uh, meanwhile, they're they're just on their way to the island. And they finally land and go to the hotel. And someone greets them. And they're like, hey, I'm here for the heroes. And he looks over and he sees all the other heroes getting carried off on stretchers. And the only one that <laughs> the only one that survived is now Fumi. He's like, well, I, I guess it's just you <laughs> that gets the tour. And so they get brought around the islands and they get to start training. And sure enough, they, they just go grind and they actually get a bunch of levels and items and they stay out late, late enough for the scythe hero. I keep calling him Scythe Hero for Lark. Lark and Therese. I put Scythe Hero in all of my notes, and I shouldn't have did that. <laughs> uh, for, uh, for Lark to come out there and uh, go check on them. And they, they worked on a couple monsters together, and they, I guess they bonded and it was some good little brotherly love. And eventually they all head back to the to the hotel. So meanwhile, while they're all out, the next day they start... I guess scrounging around and they, they have to get these underwater suits, I think is what they are. And they're these, these big ridiculous Santa penguin suits. So they can go underwater and they put them on and they, they find this underwater ruin that they go into. And it turns out there's a dragon hourglass underneath and dragon hourglasses. I I don't know if we've already said it, but they actually tell you when the next wave is coming. And it turns out the next wave is coming in two days and it's going to hit this archipelago. And so they, that's right. Yeah. So they let the, they let everyone know and they're like, Hey, we, we got to get ready. And that, that would bring us into 24. But what'd you think about our introduction to this, uh, this Island getaway, this Caribbean cruise? So my initial thought, whenever this actually first popped up, I was like, beach episode, very um, disappointed. I did not uh, enjoy my beach episode. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's an interesting thing because uh, they get on the boat and they basically find out, again, the, the other heroes are being dicks. They took up all the cabins. So they end up having to share a room with Lark and Therese and they introduce each other. And this is a really, really funny moment for me. And he's like, he says his name and he's like, oh, so we're using aliases. You think you'd choose a better one. <laughs> And uh, so, he, so of course, now Fumi's not really super trusting of people in general. So he's kind of like, he's already annoyed. He's getting called kiddo. And I think uh, I think at some point he switches over to shield kiddo. And, you know, accuses him using an alias. And he's like, whatever. <laughs> but do you know about the funny? I, I love yeah, Lark. He, he's a hoot. He's a big brother character. 
100 percent he's he's that well he's a very confident experienced kind of guy um but it's it's funny watching now fumi just being annoyed by the whole situation and then finding out that they know about the devil the shield thing and and uh all that so they kind of do this whole like you know getting to know each other moment the, uh, the thing to take away from this is uh Raftalia notices that Therese isn't speaking uh, the same language as the people who exist in their world. This is where you get your first foreshadow that something just ain't right because they're speaking a different language. And so now Fumi understands it because the shield translates for him. But for people like Raph and Philo, they wouldn't understand who they are. And then she uses some kind of like spell to change her, you know, her language to theirs or something like that. Uh, super, super helpful. Um, and she even, she even realizes that now Fumi makes accessories. So she gets him to make her an accessory out of some stuff that she has, uh, clearly cause she has, uh, she has, a uh, she has abilities revolving around gems that, you know, you'll, she's mentioned and we'll see more of, but a fun fact, her last name is Alexandrite. So it's already kind of given away a little hints that she's a, a very stone oriented kind of character because uh, the different mineral names that, you know, is associated with her. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, but then we get the hilarious scene with the seasick heroes, which honestly you covered is it's such a great moment watching them all get carted off on on uh, stretchers when they get to the island. But you get a little more of the uh, the rules of the island. After that, it, which I think is funny because it's basically MMO RPG rules like don't kill steel. You can only travel by the boats between the islands. Um, uh, enemies get harder after dark, which is a common thing in some RPGs. Uh, so there's a lot of like video game things existing in this archipelago. I mean, even straight down to like the boosted EXP. Um, and they, I think that don't they like go out? If I recall correctly, they go out and grind a little bit, and it starts kind. Of, they run into the other heroes, so their exp starts going down, and they're like, "You're in my area." No, you're in my area. Yeah. And so, and so now Fumi and they were like, "Ah, oh, fuck you guys, we're out of here," and they just take off somewhere and things like that. I think they they team up with Lark and Therese for a little bit and do some grinding and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, for uh, a bit they find a really, a, I think it was a big bird, some kind of vulture, I think, and Lark and them end up coming in and helping save their ass. And you get to see a little bit of a demonstration of their powers with the stones. Mm-hmm. And they realize like, oh, that's a magic I've never heard get cast before. And you, you see a little bit more of the, that's odd. What are you guys doing? And it's it's kind of cool just seeing that difference. Yeah, this is also a... a a fun fact about this is I don't know if you saw this is whenever she's does whenever Therese does a spell, um, like you said, they don't recognize the magic champ, but her hair changes color. I can't I can't seem to determine if her hair changing to the red is supposed to accent the fact of her gym being activated and it's like a shading sort of thing, or if every time she actually uses magic and like is magically energized, her hair turns red. I really can't quite figure that out. I wasn't, uh, I liked it though. Whatever, whatever was happening, it was cool, but I, I couldn't figure it out either. I, I was yeah. hoping she would use a different color, a stone or something, and she would just green or something, but I don't know. It was cool. Yeah. This uh, this is also the this episode also has the the fun moment at the tavern after the the freaking uh, grinding. I guess words failed me for a second, but they go back to the tavern and everybody's kind of like having drinks. You know, Lark invites them to have a drink, and 
and everything and all the people are at the the tavern and you the racist night the against demi humans that started a fight with reptalia at the celebratory dinner is there at the tavern being a, a dick again mm-hmm. and it shows but this time reptalia is drunk and so they end up getting into an arm wrestling fight and she beats him like handily and it just shows her being like yes i've won i now own you and uh it's just a really funny little scene because i don't even think they have any dialogue i think it's just shown as like music's playing in the background it shows everybody having fun yeah and we get we get an important scene here towards the end of it, right before we uh, get to the dragon hourglass is now Fumi eats a berry from the bar and seems to have no problem. With it. He's like, this tastes pretty good. And Lark's like, what the hell are you doing? And he doesn't know what's happening. And uh, Motoyasu uh, for all of his hilarity in this, uh, you know, moment about all the stuff that's happening he grabs one of the berries too and eats it and basically foams in the mouth and passes out because it turns out <laughs> yeah like i love that moment it's so funny because of course you know mine slash bitch is there she's like what are you know it starts blaming now fumi for it and lark's like that's what they make the alcohol out of they put it in water to dilute it like this is super strong like how are you okay because it's basically like eating like concentrated alcohol yeah and uh, and he's like, oh, I had no idea. And th- this is an important scene for what's eventually going to happen here in the next couple episodes. Uh, but this for the end of the episode, we get a little bit of a beach beach episode because, like, you know, Philo's there in, an, in a bathing suit, and Raftalia shows up in her bathing suit, and you barely. know, uh, it was barely a beach scene. Yeah, and then, and of course, you know, now Fumi's too busy trying to figure out what this thing on the the floor of the ocean is that he's kind of detected. And for some reason, like you said, the scuba suits are like penguin suits. With Santa hats. (laughs) Yeah. And and so, you know, and Reptalia is like trying to show off and he's like, here, put this on. And she's just like crying (laughs) in the suit as they go underwater to this ruin. Like, I just love those moments. Like every time Raph is trying to, trying to really lay it on thick and he's like yeah here whatever and just they move on with their lives and she just cries in the background while it's happening it's just it's funny to me at times and like you said they find the dragon hourglass next waves in two days and and you know the stakes are there are higher now and i feel like you know this is also one of those moments i'm like so is this a different dragon hourglass with a different wave because like i feel like they would have known going into the the archipelago yeah everyone else there was always a notice like, they, they always had a couple days to prepare. There was always mm-hmm. like, hey, guys, you guys need to start squaring up because we got shit flying here in a minute. But this was a, a random out-of-nowhere hourglass that... Or maybe it's just because it showed up out of a decade? Like, that's I what mean, they I don't know, but they seem surprised. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they seem surprised by the fact that there's two days until a wave. Like, you guys didn't check the hourglass when, before you left the country? Yeah. And headed to the island, like like I feel like as heroes, you should have better time management skills. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely questions about responsibilities that need to be raised. And the queen, you know, she signed off on this, so she needs to be uh, brought in. I need the whole chain here to talk to. <laughs> but all right, so hit me with episode twenty four. I've I've had my fun talking about twenty three. Speaking of the chain and the queen herself, she has summoned an army to assist with the oncoming wave. And uh, act verbatim for my notes, the Queen of Mel remarks summons an army to assist with the wave, but a Moby Dick motherfucker 
comes and is really messing things up. <laughs> so there's a really big whale that comes up and he, he's kind of cool. One of the cooler CGI things I thought. Uh, and the, the Navy is having a really hard time fighting it. And the heroes, including Lark and Therese are having to get involved with uh, starting to fight it. And Lark starts saying big fellow when he fights it. And he's having to direct now Fumi on how to, handle it and it's pretty cool because now fumi also says big fella and those it was, it was really nice and endearing <laughs> but eventually while they're fighting it you find out that lark uh lark isn't on their team uh lark and therese betray them and lead everyone to start dying or i, I don't know if they led the the fish to start attacking them i don't remember that per se i don't think so Mm-mm. okay but yeah he eventually betrays them and I was really heartbroken that Lark betrayed them. Oh, <laughs> yeah! I was like, "No, Lark, please! Uh, you've been teased in these openings, and you're you're a monster." But sure enough, it turns out that they are different dimensional heroes from, as you'd guess, a different dimension, uh, and they are here to save their own world, much like now Fumi and their hero, or and the other heroes are here to save mm-hmm. their respective world. Uh, Lark and Therese are there to save theirs, as well as Glass. Glass is also part of their team, and she shows up, and uh, they start fighting. It's pretty, pretty cool and well choreographed. I, I enjoyed seeing a lot of the fights and a lot of the different strengths, and it, it mm-hmm. was pretty cool seeing Lark do a lot of his wind stuff. I liked seeing that. Uh, what did you think about some of this? Uh, I guess betrayal, yeah. of the fish, and. So there's a there's also another thing is uh remember that uh that kind of meeting that the heroes had and they were talking about the different ways they had the abilities they had with their weapons. Mm-hmm. One of, one of the things they had actually talked about was the fact that you could use a teleport skill that would take you to any place you had been before instantaneously. And at the beginning of this episode, now Fumi uses that teleport skill because he finally believes in it. So it's a lot easier for him to get around and report things because I think he actually teleports back to Melramark to tell the queen and then goes back to the island after that. And then of course the queen shows up within like within two days with a freaking army and boats and all this shit. Like, and he's kind of like, yeah, she's got it all together. Like he's just impressed with how, how skilled she is at getting her army together and being a leader. Cause she shows up like decked out again and has everybody ready to go for this wave. Oh yeah. And of course, yeah. It was like, and like you said, the Moby Dick motherfucker shows up. Uh, which is it doesn't have a horn or something like that i think so is it narwhal it's pretty narwhalish i think i remember that yeah (laughs) he's pretty sick he's he's a pretty cool monster overall yeah and he starts whooping on the army pretty good and this is where we see now fumi use a taunt skill he actually has some kind of like skill to draw the attention of the monster yeah which makes sense he's he's basically a tank character being the shield so it makes sense that he would have that but it's also like it seems like more and more of his abilities come out as time goes by. Uh, you know, Melty's about to get snared by something, and Lark saves her. So it's like, oh, he's a good guy. And this is where you have kind of the moment where Lark uh, and uh, Nafumi are kind of teaming up and doing good things during the battle. And so is uh, Therese Alexandrite. She's she's using spells to do stuff too. Uh, but you also get to see. A cool little thing is remember that berry that was a concentrated alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, you've seen. Well, in this episode, they showed the soldiers throwing these barrels over overboard, 
and then they shoot it with a, a fire arrow and it explodes. And it turns out those barrels are just filled with tons of those berries and they work like basically like debt charges. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and explode like crazy. So uh, I thought that was a cool little kind of like just aside. You're like, oh, that's that's what they're doing with it. That's how they're making explosions out of nowhere. Uh, and it, everybody's just kind of battling. There's some cool action scenes and, and things like that for a bit. And then you get to the part where uh, they kind of finish off with the whale, the narwhal, whatever. And Lark basically mocks the other heroes and, and shit like that. And basically reveals that they're from another dimension. And they're here to kill now Fumi. This is a distinction that's important. Because from what I took away from both times I watched this, they're there to kill now Fumi and not the other guys. Hmm. So that's kind of where we land. Uh, Green hair girl ends up uh, somewhere along the way being in a rowboat, uh, kind of like stuck in a weird position, making her weird sounds. Um, <laughs> you make and, it sound like she's just like farting and grunting. <laughs> just no, it's doing just weird like, like things. It, there's this cute, I guess it's supposed to be like a cute sound, like kind of a uh, dizzy character sort of make at times or like inept characters make. And it's like, fouet, and it's like really it's really kind of annoying to me. Yeah. Like I like, I like a lot of things for of anime. I, I forgive a lot. Uh, my, uh, my friend Brandon always tells me, he's like, you must like everything. I'm like, no, I just, I'm very forgiving, but that sound effect just really gets to me. It really does. I find it annoying as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, like it just bothers me that somebody who's supposed to have skills in a brain, it just makes random sounds, but you know, that's neither here nor there. It's an anime thing. Um, I think uh, whenever Lark and Therese basically start revealing that they're from another dimension and they have to kill Nafumi to save their world, uh, you know, you start seeing other things like Therese finally moves her uh, her hair or her headband or something and it shows that she has a gem in her forehead. Uh, you know, and basically they just start ready to fight uh, Nafumi. And they they do, and it seems like he's kind of getting pushed back a little bit, but then he starts coming up with some other moves of his own, and he actually hurts Lark. And, of course, Glass shows up right here at the end of the episode and basically kind of kind of dunks on Lark and Therese because now Fumi has basically managed to fight them back and hurt them. And this is like the third per, third hero from another world coming in to fight now Fumi alone. And she's in glasses there, like kind of intimidating the shit out of everybody. And glasses dunking on Lark saying, you do realize he hasn't even remotely used all of his power, right? Yeah, it was it was intimidating. I even put in here that she was complimenting Shield Hero. Yeah, like because they because the great thing is Lark is so confident and it, it, it plays into that was a great moment to me. Because Lark is so confident that he's going to wipe the floor with him, and he's you know he's more skilled. He has a, a more righteous you know path. And there's two of them versus the Shield Hero and his and his you know helpers, and they are just convinced. Like he's just convinced they're going to win. And you know now Fumi starts putting the the screws on him, and then his then his buddy Glass shows up from the other dimension and tells him, uh, "You do realize he's going easy on you." And this this puts a puts a little bit of a you know, breaks on Lark's uh, confidence for a few minutes. Yeah, it was. And now it was humbling it, for for Lark. Yeah. It was cool. I thought it was a great moment to show how strong Nefumi is because I didn't notice that he had not done any of his like full power shit yet. Yeah, no Iron Maidens, nothing yet. No, yeah, nothing like that yet. And we got we get Glass dunking on our friends, and we run headlong into the final 
episode where we are going to fight off these guys, probably. Yes, sir. Yeah. So we're start. Oh, I have here. We start at a ten combo skills, four different shields, and we are splitting bad guys. So they are working on getting them separated, so they're a little bit more manageable. Uh, getting Lark away from Therese and Glass away from everyone else, uh, so that uh, well, what's his name? Now Fumi can handle Glass, and it, it's pretty intense. It's cool watching everyone do the Lord's work. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shield Hero figures out Glass' weakness because pretty much up till now she's just been a god tier fighter, but he figures out what it's gonna take to to get to her, and now he he kind of puts her through her own work, but she kind of gives her own spill about how she wants to protect her world, but he's real. He's realizing himself what he wants to protect. And that's his friends, uh, Raftalia and Philo. And he, he may not want to save everyone in this world, but he wants to save his friends. And he, he's willing to do that. Even if that means defeating these guys. So he, Mm -hmm. with reinvigorated purpose, he, uh, he starts putting them through again. So, cause he, he did have a weak moment there. He thought about giving up, you know, why shouldn't I let them, you know, I I hate this place. So, but he didn't. So he he keeps on going, keeps fighting. And eventually they do run out of time, just like Glass did in the first fight. Uh, Timer does pop up and Lark starts coming over the glass, like Lark or Glass, we got to get out of here. And they disappear soon or threatening to come again. And uh, Shield Hero and everyone get their bearings back. They, find who's there and eventually they they do get a new party member in the green hairy girl uh, i think her name's <laughs> rishia or rishia yep and rishia rishia and she's a reject from the bow heroes party uh and it's kind of funny and sad but they they do uh they, they send her away and she just ends up joining now because they're not as cruel and the queen insists on uh there she ends up seeing shield hero again she insists on paying him and uh he for a favor, but instead he chooses to be the Lord of Sayet, which is uh, the Lord, which was supposed to take over for the queen whenever the queen was away. And it was also the village that uh, what's her face had Raftalia. That's where she's from. But instead he takes over, he's putting this whole rehabilitation project together to put everything up. And you see everyone that he's run into, including the Kung Fu lady from wave three or four, however many fucking ways. Yeah, Kung Fu grandma's there. Yeah, she. everyone that you've seen is there helping put this place together. And it, it's kind of nice to see, you know, everything kind of come to a close. So, or, I mean, with withstanding interdimensional angry heroes, but everything is kind of coming to a close here as, you know, Raph breaks down and she realizes that, he's going to have to leave at some point. She begs him, you know, please don't leave me. And he realizes that he doesn't want to, he wants to stay with his friends and save the people. So what, uh, what do you have for the, uh, Oh yeah. The the, this episode, this episode was great for the action in the first, like 10 minutes alone. Yeah. Like there's some really badass moves going on here. I love and, it. Yeah, I mean, all the all the characters get like a, a good solid moment, and now Fumi really shows his ingenuity. He figures out that the Soul Eater Shield steals SP, but for some reason it hurts Glass, so he goes at her with that. Um, and they and they kind of chat, and they they continue to hint that now Fumi is the po- is possibly the reason why their world will end because they don't give two shits about the other heroes. 
So this is this is kind of being more and more driven in, into your head that what's going on with the shield hero? Like what is the, what is the deal with this? And and that's gonna I guess have to wait till the next season because they don't really cover it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also like like you said, whenever he's realizing he wants to he like what they're doing during this time, he sees a vision of like in glass. He looks through the wave and sees Glass's world fighting the wave on their side. So it's like he's like kind of trying to figure out. He's like, well, they're trying to do the right thing too. Like, I hate this place. Should I do it? And then of course he ends up being like, I I love my friends and I I I, I want to be with them. So that's why he ends up kind of fighting them off. And the way they beat these guys, besides just the time frame, is also hilarious because basically Rishi is rolling around with a, a boat full of alcohol, and they blow it up and it lands like all of it sprays into the air and starts falling on uh, glass. And so she gets all wobbly and weak. And that's when Lark and, and uh, Therese go, we're out of time. It's time to go. And, you know, you get the impression from the way they talk with each other. And even to a degree, like how Glass's uh, kind of attitude is in this wave, that they're not really bad, bad guys. And I think that was the whole thing is like, it kind of started out seeming like they were bad guys, but as you get to ex- experience them more, you find out they're they're really not at all. They're just trying to do what they can to save their own. Yeah, absolutely. Skin world. It, it, I got real tournament of power vibes from them. They're, they're just trying to, or from Dragon Ball Super, they're, they're just trying to make sure they're they can all survive. And it's yeah. it, it, it. I I didn't get bad vibes from Lark from Therese. Nothing. They're they're not villains. They're just they got people they're trying to save. Yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, Rishi was the one responsible for getting the alcohol barrels close enough to explode and land on them. So, you know, she's recognized for that. And, uh, as a matter of fact, that's the reason she gets kind of ran out of Itsuki's party. Yeah. Is they, they blame her for something that she didn't do because they're all jealous of the, of the, the recognition of how much contribution she had in the, in the wave. And, uh, you know, basically, and this and this all appeals to uh, now Fumi, as grumpy as he is, because, again, here's somebody that's been blamed for something they didn't do. They're the outcast. And here he is to pick pick her up and be like, he's like, I feel you. And, like, so he definitely wants her in the party because she, you know, she was a lot like him. She, she may not be nearly as hateful and grumpy as him, uh, but she, she is a lot like him. And I thought that was a cool little kind of, like, parallel because he he readily accepts her really quickly, and that's very uncharacteristic of his character. But I think be, because he saw that in her, that's one of the reasons he was like, "Yeah, just come along with me." Um, and then you know the the queen gets in the the town, and he you know surprises Raftalia with it, and I think that's really really it was a really really sweet moment. But the big thing I really could kind of took away from here is uh, you know she begs him to stay, he agrees. And we get to finally see that final scene of them being in the town and the flag is flying over the village again. And she flashes back to the food that had the flag for the first time. So it's kind of showing like where her flag was and, and how it's finally home. At least that's kind of how I take it. But a, a fun fact about the flag is, did you notice that there seems to be a shield on it? Yeah, yeah. It's got all yeah. the heroes now. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool, and so he's got a home base for all the things that they're going to be doing in the future, and that's kind of how they 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 wrap up this season. And I thought it was a good place to stop because 
as someone that's read a little further into the the manga and things like that, there's some wild stuff coming up. So, uh, but that's for whenever we watch season two. I think it starts here soon, not too far away. Is it twenty? Is it October? or Is it like early twenty twenty one? I think it's in October. I, I think it starts yeah. before twenty twenty one at least. Yeah. So we've reached the end of all of our like analyzation of each of the episodes and kind of our impressions and just funny moments. Uh, what would you What would you say is your your overall feelings about the series? I really liked it. I was super impressed with how well. And how, I guess, unique of a video game isekai this was without feeling overly gamey. Um, I This is probably my fifth one I've watched over the, over the course of this year. And it, it, was, it was probably the only one I wasn't, you know, cringing at the end where I was like, oh, God, I can't believe that was one I, I did and watched. And, Ew, gross. Well, that's, I had maybe... <laughs> One other one I really enjoyed, also shield related. And actually, while I'm thinking about it, I could bring that up. Uh where I feel like this one really focused on its world and lore in an aspect that was really cool. Cause I feel like I know the world of Melramark at least and how it does its, you know, heroes and I guess waves a little better. <laughs> but I would have really liked to know a lot more about Nafumi and the powers of the shield and everything and what all he can do. Cause really all I know that he can do for sure is the Iron Maiden in the airstrike shield. And that's really it. And shield prison and whatever else. There's like four shields he does consistently. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they didn't really explore a lot of his ability to go through different shields but just how he uses the same couple shields. And I, I guess maybe that's a different kind of battle prowess he has, but there's another shield anime that came out last year called Bofuri. I don't want to get hurt. So I maxed out my defense. Oh yeah. And so <laughs> she literally just uses her defense in crazy ways. And I mean, she gets like a shit ton of abilities as well in a goofy MMO type way. And it, it's vastly different from this, but it explores abilities and, I guess, ways to use a shield in ways that this one doesn't. And I think maybe I would have liked to have seen that. But maybe he'll get different power-ups and different things later on down the road. But I just think I would have liked to have seen more shield action other than him punching people and calling (laughs) out airstrike shield. I think that's something I would have liked to have seen. But apart from that, I I did like the politics. I loved the trial. I loved just... I guess the pain of that and, you know, just seeing the justice of mine, even though she didn't die, I really like would have liked to have seen her die, but maybe, maybe <laughs> another time there's, there, there wasn't a lot of death of main characters. I think I would like to see something at stake for someone to die. I feel like there would have been a little bit more gravity if, if someone would have died and something was truly at stake because no one died, but that's just my personal opinion. I like it when someone dies, it makes me feel like something's real. I get mm-hmm. so maybe if Philo would have died, I'd feel like maybe someone someone could really go, <laughs> and I would actually feel better. But that's just me. But that that's probably my ending thoughts. I definitely would recommend this to anyone. You know, this is a this is the shit. Absolutely. Yeah. So this this series is actually really surprising to me because while it's technically an isekai, uh, kind of like power fantasy to a certain degree. It really comes across more fantasy world than it does isekai to me. 
Um, I love all the the world building. I like all the character development that goes on throughout the series. There's a lot of emotional moments that 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 did make me kind of like feel things in my heart, and it kind of made me tear up. So I thought that was really effective for the series. Uh, the dub was really really well done. Uh, like I said, there was a couple like weird hiccups here and there, but that's me nitpicking. If you're just an average viewer, you wouldn't even notice it. it it's just really fluid. Um, and even the emotional moments still have that heft despite being translated to English. And I gotta, I gotta give credit to the voice actors. They did a great job and I, you know, I need to look up their names and see what other projects are on. Cause I'm really impressed across the board. Uh, I did, I did, uh, like the fact that the pacing was pretty, pretty fast because sometimes you get those series that really waste a lot of time yeah uh and don't really share anything they just they're just wasting a lot of time and i like that a lot of the like travel moments and and even training type things were kind of boiled down to montages of still frames that you know played over music or something like that so you didn't spend all this time watching these characters ride around in a wagon and uh so yeah, I'd say it's just really overall a good series. It's, it's clearly for older audiences. I'd say probably late teens uh, is probably the youngest I'd recommend this series for because there's definitely some more adult topics. It, it's definitely not a little kid show. That's for sure. Uh, there's a lot like I can't imagine the kind of tri- like like showing a little kid like the the execution and trial scene. That's a lot to take in. And I'd, I'd say that this, sh- this show requires you to pay attention. There's a lot of details that become important that show back up again in future episodes. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're someone like me that kind of tends to note little details here and there just kind of subconsciously, you get to all of a sudden a later episode, and you're like, oh, I remember that. And that's a great feeling when you're watching a show. It's like when you can remember earlier in, in the series, it's not a throwaway junk series where you're like, a month later you go like I watched that, but I don't remember a single thing about it. And I think this is going to stick with me. And I, that's why I recommend this to everybody and look forward to the second season. There's, there's some good stuff coming down the pipe. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm excited for it. Whenever it does come out, we can start watching that and we can, we can get to that at some point we can do, that could be our first season two, maybe whenever we cover that. But, uh, sounds fun. Yeah, absolutely, man. But with that, um i guess that's that's kind of it for our first episode of senpai and kohai um with that you know if you'd like to leave us any kind of review or comments you can leave that on your listening source of choice um you can follow us on social medias being the instagram facebook or twitter at senpai and kohai and with that, Stephen, I will see you next time. I'll see you next time, buddy, and look forward to A Promise Neverland. Yes, sir. See you then.